Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is January the 10th of 2024, our first big proper recap episode of the year. It's going to be a doozy of one, too. Yeah. Uh, so I hope you're ready. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. We're back, and uh, we have... Uh, just in uh, shameful amount of chapters to discuss. We were going to talk about 100 girlfriends who really, 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 really like you. Uh, but instead, we're going to really, 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 really have to do that next week. Because otherwise, we would have gotten about 20 minutes in and been like, oh, God, we have to we have to hurry up. Uh, we had to start cutting things. So uh, we're going to do that next week. There's like 16 chapters we have to discuss today. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, uh, and conveniently, Quinn forgot what the, uh, what, what our introductory, uh, tangent was going to be, so I guess we'll just skip that, right? <laughs> I, I actually, I have another one if you want, it's a little, little extra Oh, one. no! <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it just comes. Um, so I am playing, uh, the hit new game everyone's talking about right now, it's certainly not six months ago, uh, Boulder's Gate 3, uh, okay. which a lot of people have talked about. Uh, if you, uh, know anything about it, it's a D and D game. Uh, and I'm apparently playing it in a very frustrating way for many people in that the way, oh, uh, I'm, I'm just killing everybody now. <laughs> uh, the way I'm, uh, trying to play this game is I'm not looking anything up. Um, because I know if I do that, I'm just going to go down a rabbit hole of wanting to do hundred percent of everything. And, uh, apparently I'm just sequence breaking the game. Uh, I've skipped over huge sections. There's a character I just don't have. I don't know where she is. She's somewhere in the world. I think I was supposed to find already, but I just haven't. And I finished, uh, I think, Act 1 completely. Uh, and it's it's all a mess. Uh, and also, I'm too nice in the D&D world. Uh, I want to give... I played Dice Funk too long, where, like, every monster that shows up, I'm like, give them the benefit of the doubt. Illithids can be people, too. So, like, I legitimately almost died at the very start of the game, because you find, like, a dying, uh, mind flayer, and, like, you feel, psych feel like, psychically compelled to, like, get closer to it, and it's almost a little romantic. It's like, you almost want to kiss it, and I'm like, I do want to kiss this dying illithid, and, like... One of my party members would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop. I am, every time I do something in this game, like a party member has to come up and be like, unless you want to spend the rest of your life as a vampire slave, I would not do that. And uh, it's a big problem. I'm just always like, no, but they seem so nice. Why can't I go visit the hag's house? Like, I know she's a hag, but like, she seems cool. She seems lonely. Like, come on, yeah. guys. I mean... When you like, she made a pie for us. A pie. Who's made a pie for me before? Nobody except her. None of you guys. Yeah. None of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Shadowheart. Where's my pie? Okay. You haven't made shit for me. <laughs> this is uh, my friends and enemies chart. It is on a scale of who has and has not made a pie for Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Anti-Ethel is right at the chart, right at the top. Everyone else can't even rank you. You haven't even considered it yet. S, S tier. Yeah. There you go, guys. You guys all Z tier. Zero <laughs> pies. That's what that stands for. Yeah. Someone's going to come in and be like, you know, the pie is definitely made out of people or something, right? And I'm like, 100% more pies than you guys have ever given me, okay? Okay. <laughs> Sweeney Todd always made those pies look delicious. What's the problem here? 
So I guess my main point is that by doing a Dungeons and Dragons podcast for as long as I have, it is fucked with my ability to have any kind of street uh, smarts when it comes to uh, uh, bog standard D&D. I, I'm truly uh, the most innocent prey in that universe. Uh, I can see where that uh, could connect. Yes. Uh, I also feel that playing D&D for years has ruined me in some ways. Yeah. Um, positively? It, well, I mean, both, <laughs> both positively and negatively um, in terms of like uh, seeing things in terms of like uh, how they would be like, uh, how do I get out of the situation with the skill check kind of thing? Like what kind of, what kind of modifier uh... do I have for a certain thing? Uh, which can in some ways make uh, cause like a risk aversion. Yeah. Because uh, like, oh, my skill in this is shit. I don't want to, I shouldn't try and do this because what if I fail uh, from it? Uh, but in other ways, I mean, you know, like it expands your, your imagination and cause you to be creative and twist things in a way that will work out for you. Uh, which I do think that like in some ways we would have, we definitely have complementary approaches to the game. Yeah. Uh, because I, I'm much more like, let me think about this in terms of the ways the, that it'll definitely work out for me. And uh, most of the time when I've played with you, you've just like kind of just done things and I'm it like, works out. What if okay. I shoved my face into it? It's like, well, I guess that uh, I am bonded to this dragon now. Cool. <laughs> Here that, we are. That, hey, that's how you make a good party. To be very clear, you you, you, need, you need strengths and compromises and and all sorts of stuff. Uh, honestly, like it's playing games with people like yourself has definitely caused me to be a more well-rounded person because it has, I definitely start off in terms of like the way to approach things in terms of oh this will help me to win uh, and it came to realize eventually it's like narratives are boring if you just always win. So it's uh, it's nice to have that balance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. I guess if we talk too much longer, we're just going to turn this into a buddy chat, though, where <laughs> we just talk yeah, about role playing games. This is definitely the time to do it. We've got you know, nothing else to talk about. Yeah. So let's. Uh, well, we only have uh, 16, 17, 18. <laughs> oh, there, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, Nick, did you hear seven new world trigger chapters just came out? Oh, it's my they, birthday already. <laughs> they do not finish the away team exam. In fact, they aren't done designing little monsters yet. Uh, let's start things off with My Hero Academia. It's chapter number 411, History's Greatest Villain. You know, it's a wild uh, week in manga when I have all my tabs laid out and I have like a specific tab for where Eden Zero is to remind myself to like get out my phone. Uh, and that tab is in the middle of the chapters this week. Usually it's like right near the front. It's it's mm -hmm. smack dab in the middle this week. It's a weird week. And uh, so it's a weird chapter because as we saw last time in My Hero Academia, Shigaraki had stolen the danger sense quirk from Deku. And uh, this is portrayed in a pretty cool way. It we go into like the inner world where the for the past vessels of one for all are gathered. They're like, you know, looking out from their meeting room in the void to look at stuff. And uh then Shinomori 
with the danger sense, realizes that something's about to happen and pushes everyone away to safety as Shigaraki's hand comes descending out of the abyss and snatches him and pulls him away. Uh, so it's it's nice. It's a cool uh, visual representation of the of the quirk being factor being stolen. Uh, and of course, as we went over last time, this is very bad because Deku doesn't have danger sense and Shigaraki does now. Uh, and so, you know, Deku tries to launch an attack and Shigaraki effortlessly dodges around it. And he's like, oh, wow, this is a really useful quirk to have. <laughs> he's like, wow, this is super handy. Holy shit. Uh, so he starts launching these attacks at Deku, which are honestly hard to make out uh, because there's just a bunch of bursts of impacts. Yeah. Uh, but he's also mocking Deku while he does this. And he says, like, oh, what? You can't you can't pretend that you didn't see me crying. What the fuck's that wrong with you? You know, you're you're still treating me like a human being. Uh, and Deku is still able to keep himself safe, even without da uh, danger sense by basically just making a cocoon with the black whip to shield himself. Uh, but even so, like, he's still taking hits uh, to the point that his weird mouth guard mask thing actually crumbles apart uh, from the barely missed attacks. Uh, he looks up and sees that in the course of them moving across the landscape in their fight, that they're really close to Mount Fuji. Uh, the others try and assure Deku is like, hey, uh, now he, he, look, this guy just stole a quirk that, and it doesn't affect you know all the physical abilities that you have. It doesn't. It hasn't impacted the actual ability of one for all. You can. You are still just as physically strong as before. Uh, but uh, a bunch of people start to realize like this is bad. Like N uh, says, maybe we should just run away with the course that we have currently because Shinomori was the reason we were able to keep pace before and we don't have that anymore and if this goes on Shigaraki is going to steal all of us and he's just going to be even stronger yeah uh very funnily I think it's supposed to be scary but I think it's funny Shigaraki can hear the internal chatter among them now because he's like connected into this uh and he's like yeah you're right you're freaking talking about running away, right? That's how all for one, one for all has survived this entire time and how you managed to get stronger and stronger. So I'm not going to let you get away. I'm going to destroy you before you're able to go and regather your strength again. Uh, and he also gives a little bit of a shout out to Spinner, which uh -huh. is a bit unexpected, but it's nice. He's he like, does yeah. care about Spinner. He's like, yeah, I like that guy. Yeah, I like that guy. We, we talked about video games before. Yeah. <laughs> And then we get a big two-page spread as he just crumbles all the landscape around them. Uh, and he vows that he's going to basically just destroy Mount Fuji uh, as, I guess, a, a demonstration of his arrival. Uh, and everyone realizes, like, oh, man, the mountain will erupt if he uses decay on it. That'll be very bad. Uh, and they just kind of keep on stressing like this guy is you know ruin incarnate he all only cares about destruction but deku is still convicted uh he does he doesn't care what the other vessels have been saying he doesn't care what shigaraki has been saying he says i understand that yes you are this force but it's all connected and somewhere inside you there is a person so 
just remind everyone of like the stakes and also Deku's actual true goal in this fight. Because it's been a long time since we actually have focused on that. Yeah, I think this is a really good chapter to help recenter a bit of the situation to build up that like Shigaraki is creepy and terrifying and in the way that they were like holy shit this guy is just like ruined and terrifying they're like here's his plan he's gonna blow up mount fuji and it'll cause mount fuji to erupt and that'll be like a national disaster like he will fuck up this country if he does that and he's stronger now he has one of your quirks one of the probably one of the most essential ones that you really needed to uh win this fight uh, so the stakes are down, and even in that situation, we're reminded that Deku's focus is on connecting with this person, because that's the theme of this series. It's like, you know, there aren't really heroes and villains in the, the exact same way. People, you know, villains usually are people too. I guess except for All for One, he just sucked. He was a dickhead. <laughs> he was just a monster. He was just so. a big, mean baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, Literally. Yeah. yeah, I think this was a good chapter. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a fan of it. Hey! All right, let's move on to Undead Unluck. This is number 190, The Person That I Admire. So we start a little bit in a flashback as Victor and Juez are dueling. They're doing a little sword fight. Uh, and he's like, you know, I don't mind using duels to, like, solve disputes or whatever. But why does it have to be fencing every time? And she's like, oh, come on. They've been doing duels with swords and pistols since the ancient times. He's like... It's 2000, though, and he's he's already lost. He's been stabbed in the head. He's like, clearly you have an advantage. And she's like, yep, I win. You're on cooking duty. Uh, and he's like, oh, how about next time we settle it with fists? And she's like, mm, maybe someday, you know, being being kind of adorable that way. Uh, I do like that, like, old lady Gina is there to be like, oh, dear, time to bandage you up. Uh, very, very cute. Uh, so... We're, Old lady Gina, who has got to be like, oh man, like thirty-five or something in this timeline. Uh, I think she's a little bit older than that. When did what year was it that she encountered Fuka? I guess it would have been like I thought it was what, like in the nineteen eighties or no? Was it the sixties? Was it? Because I she meets uh, Nico in like the sixties, and I didn't think she started time traveling for a lo- little bit. Maybe it was the eighties, and I'm just thinking further back. Because in my mind, I'm like, not the eighties, Nick. That was so recently. <laughs> Couldn't possibly be that recent. Uh, we'll talk so, a little bit about that in a later chapter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, Julia is here in this moment, seeing Fuko. And she's like, oh, you're the person I've been looking for. And Fuko's like, hey, I'm here to come and see you. And Julia's like, oh, that's the name of the organization Miss Juez was a part of. Could this could this really exist, this union? And uh, before she can get any further, uh, a new enemy shows up. It's Platinum, uh, which doesn't make sense, Nick. It should be Silver. And then we have yeah. to get Ruby and Sapphire, Emerald. And then we can get the Gen 4 games of Platinum. So I I was just saying it doesn't make any sense because it refers to gold as his big brother. And yeah. it's like, how is platinum the little brother of gold? That makes no sense. I, I want to be this fun world where like uh, the perceived value is uh, in reverse. So everyone's like, you keep messing with me. Big brother copper's going to show up and kick your ass. <laughs> um, but yeah, UMA platinum shows up. It's going to attack. Uh, 
Julia is very excited, though. Like, Fuko's like, we gotta get out of here. And Julia's like, hmm, no. How about you tell me about Miss Juez instead? And Fuko's like, uh, now's not super the time for that right now. But Julia's like, no, you know about her, right? You, uh, her colleagues, I want to I know everything about her. I, I, I must know. And Fuko's like, yeah, I just, you know, gotta kind of get you out of here right now. And she's like, all right, well, how about we fight then? How about if I fight, then you tell me everything <laughs> about she this? Her, she's being carried princess style yeah. this whole time. And then she's just like, while being carried, ah, fencing blade, <laughs> how about you? Uh, and Fuko's just like, ah, no, I don't want to accept right now. Uh, Julia's like, no, you have to accept. She's like, ah, you got to be careful. You'll trigger my unluck. Uh, and Julia just like, kind of humps. And Fuko's like, all right, I'll hear you out later. For now, we need to... Where'd you go? And Julia has stepped aside and she has firmly planted herself in front of the UMA's mouth. And she says, if you do not accept my duel, I will be eaten. And uh, before that can happen, Shen and Mui show up, smash uh, Platinum in the head and defeat it. And uh, everyone's like, huh, this is what it feels like. like. I do like how in the background she is like, why'd you beat it? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> uh, Gina is just exhausted. She's like, I don't think we can keep someone like her safe. Uh, so we cut over. Julia is going to get her duel with Fuko. And uh, they're just like, all right, yeah, I guess they're going to have a fight. She's even more of a tomboy than I really could have imagined. But, you know, when I heard she was the boss of boss, you know, I didn't really get it but now i get it and uh gina's like yeah she's the spitting image of her the, especially the way she just threw herself into harm's way without considering her own safety mm-hmm. so uh julia sets the rules she's like if i take a round off you you have to tell me about miss juez and fuko's like okay well what do i get if i win and Julia's like, hmm, why, I would do anything you want. Your wish will be my command. And Sean tries to pipe in with sex, <laughs> but is smashed by Gina <laughs> before he can finish it. And I just like the touch that it's like, yes, these are just doofy teenagers. And I, I just like how open he was about it. Well, um, he's, he does it, gets smacked in the face. Like, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> just couldn't help it. Yeah. Uh, so they start their duel. Gina, uh, or, uh, Fuko immediately wins. It's like, begin. Fwack. Got her. Uh, and she's like, all right, that's game. And everyone's like, fuck. Is she really good at fencing too? And it's like, yeah, she's kind of good with everything. Uh, she just kind of bull rushed her though, though. She's like really strong. Uh, so Fuko's like, all right, uh, deal's a deal. I'd like you to keep calm and hear me out. And Juez is like, Nope! How about we do a hundred more rounds? If I win any of them, then I win the match. And she's so like, unfair. And she's like, "What? What do you mean?" And she's like, "Well, I never said what the overall round count was, so it could be out of everything, right?" And I just love Gina uh, pipes is like, "Fuko, you know how you're feeling right now? That's how we all feel all of the time." <laughs> and Fuko's it's like, like, "What? <laughs> really? I'm this annoying?" Yes. <laughs> Uh, so we just see 
the thing, like, the, the duels continue. Like, uh, Julia leads with her fastest strike, and it immediately still, get, you know, causes a loss. And we just see sort of a montage of the losses piling up. She's, you know, lost 50 times in a row, and then 75, 80 times in a row. And Julia's like, no, I'm going to get closer. I'm going to figure this out. Eventually, I'll be able to get there. Until finally, they get to round 99. And she's like, I have to get this answer. I will find out what this person is like. If it means reaching my inspiration, then I will cast aside chivalry. And she throws her sword at Foucault and just hits her in the face. Uh, And she's like, all right. So if technique won't do the job, then we'll stake it on luck. And she, she calls back. She's like, you called it unluck if you get touched, right? And uh, she reaches out and she touches a specific uh, slice in Foucault's pant leg that had opened up earlier. A very small one, but it exposed some skin. So she's able to touch onto that. And now she has caused unluck. The building that they're in explodes. I love that Shen and Mui are out there just like doing Star just Watch. A little, just having a little date together. Yeah, they're being very cute and then the building fucking collapses behind them. And she's like, oh my god, what happened? That must have been a stroke of unluck. Uh, but Gina has used her unchanged to barrier everybody. And in that moment, a, a decisive strike has happened. And uh, Julia has won. She manages to, to land a hit on Fuko. And she's so happy, you know, as the scoreboard changes from 99 to 1. Uh, she smiles. She's like, I did it, right? So please tell me. And she, like, just passes out. She's so tired. And Foucault catches her and is like, Miss Juez is the person I admire. And I'm here right now because I crossed paths with her. And I've learned so many things from her. She showed me a lot of care. She helped nurture me. And Julia, now it's my turn to do the same. I am going to be the one to guide and nurture you. So will you follow me? And Julia's going to be like, yes, yes. So Fuko grabs hold of her, jumps onto uh, the flying cloud. She's like, sick, wicked sick. All right, let's go all sorts of places and save all sorts of teammates. First stop, Brazil. So it does seem like uh, we will have julia as part of this uh group of uh four other characters we have to recruit as like a, a regular member because i don't even think they've established if unjust uh injustice is activated yet i think this uh, there has not been an establishing moment of it no yeah so i think uh we're still at that point where it's going to happen but she's going to be with the group as they do these things and kind of raise her significance within the group this is a very cute chapter. Uh, uh-huh. Did a lot to establish what the dynamic going forward is going to be between Julia and Foucault. We of course spent a few chapters getting to just know Julia herself, but uh, it was nice to see her properly getting to bounce off Foucault and to extend the other members of Union uh, and get a sense of what she's going to be like going forward, which is, in a sense, Foucault's mini me. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> But it's a nice dynamic that is established, that is brought up between them, yeah. uh, and she makes for a good kind of very kid sidekick sort of character. Whereas Gina has definitely been like you know Fuka's like primary sidekick up to this point, but they're much more peers than like kid and apprentice, uh, kid apprentice, uh, an adult teacher. Yeah, um, and it is interesting to see that reflect the dynamic from the previous loop here 
yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, fun little chapter. I'm I'm curious to see how she'll react to meeting other people and seeing their powers. I, I think it's just going to be a good way to kind of build up Juez as, as like a very significant member of this, this new time loop union. Mm-hmm. All right. Blue box, Nick. Blue box. I want, chapter 132. I want to talk about some basketball. Yeah. It's a very basketball chapter. It's chapter 132. I get that. Uh, so Chinatsu's match with Yumika is continuing their basketball game against each other. And we get a flashback from Chinatsu's perspective where she admits like at first it was just a passing interest. I thought Yumika looked so cool and that I wanted to be like her. And it became a regular part of my life. And now it's like how I brush my teeth after eating. If I don't, I feel antsy. It's a part of me. So... We get uh, some shots of their game. It's very close. It's 28-24. And uh, people in the audience are observing like, hey, Yumika, she's really good. She's so skilled. And uh, they comment like, she's always had high basketball IQ, but now she's AMA's greatest adversary. Uh, Then we get another flashback from Chinasu's perspective, but it's when they're uh, basically approaching the end of elementary school and Yumika's the one who's like, yeah, I'm going to go to AMA Junior High. Do you, are you going to come too? Because, hey, if we go there, we wouldn't have to take an entrance exam for high school because the junior high schools are combined and we could go to nationals together if we did that. Uh, and they're like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. It's like, yeah, I'll be team captain. No, you mean I'll be team captain. It's like, no, you're, you're, there's a, you know, friendly comp- competition between each other as they're playing basketball together. And the shot fades to Chinata's practicing by herself because Yimika's gone. Yeah. Uh, and her narration about the point before continues, which is if you don't brush your teeth, you develop cavities, but there aren't any consequences when it comes to basketball. I'd spent my whole life doing this, so I thought I just had to do it. And I always had an inkling that it was actually how things went. And then we get a very important moment, which is when Shinatsu learned that her family was going to go abroad. Uh, and, you know, her parents sat her down and said, like, hey, I'm going abroad for work. Uh I'll be away for two or three years, maybe even longer, and we're going to move out of the house together. And Shinatsu's devastated by this, that she's going to have to move away from all that she's ever known. And she just immediately like gets up, excuses herself, and has to walk outside. Uh, her mother goes after her and sits with her and says, look, I know this is a huge shock. I know it's going to mean leaving your friends, but you make new friends. And she says, I, I understand that. And I'm sure I'd get used to it in no time. I know that I'd have a lot of good experiences. I'll find a way to enjoy it. Even if I get in touch with everyone now and again, I'm sure my chest will still hurt and I'll accept it as something out of my control. But I don't want that. And she goes on to think to herself, like, I've got to play basketball. I have to do it. Uh, And 
she just you know remembers like everything in her life and her childhood revolving around basketball uh from the things that she sacrificed to the great memories that she had as she was practicing and playing getting better it was like a long-held belief that developed over the past 10 years and more but without that belief what would keep me going i want to hold on to that and the game's progressed more uh it's still a close game but it's 39 33 slightly different scores before and shinatsu is now you know approaching the the rim and she don't want to have any regrets because of that i wanted to that's why i said i wanted to play basketball with yumika again even if that desire leads to this struggle right now if i got sent back in time i'd still say the same thing that she said to yumika back when they were still at odds and yumika was upset at her for stuff <laughs> Uh, and, uh, she just thinks herself like right now, I just need to win and she gets a pass and she, her eyes look up and in the crowd, there's Taiki cheering for her. And he, she remembers all the times that he has encouraged her in the past and she's I think she's the one who says this, which is just, I get that. But it might be someone else saying it. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I think I she's, I think, she, I, I think she's, I don't know. That is, it is a text bubble, but I think that is her kind of saying it because everything has been a thought process. Mm-hmm. And uh, she shoots the ball and she scores and it's just this big huge moment at the end of the chapter where her boyfriend's cheering her on and she scores this shot which, which you know at this point things are so incredibly tight that this is a very momentous uh, shot for her to make uh, this is a very very different sort of chapter for Blue Box because it is so heavily into like this is the sport of basketball and what it means to Chinatsu and everything that she's put into it and how much this moment means to her just play this game but it's very well done yeah uh, I, I particularly like that the focus is on uh, Chinatsu going through her turmoil finding out a little bit more about like her family we already know her dad's kind of like she has like a weird relationship with him um and it's nice seeing that she had one parent who's a little bit more emotionally attentive to her uh but seeing her go through this whole process i mean like i don't regret that uh i got yumika back into the game um or that like i helped rekindle my relationship with her and it's it's gotten to this point like i'm not you know kind of alleviating uh, a bit of taiki's concern even if he doesn't know it yet um but i also like that she sees taiki she gets you know motivated and she sinks the shot and i feel like throughout most of blue box in this moment we see her usually not make that shot uh, i believe true. last time this happened was like her last run at nationals and she you know we, we focused on shot. it and she missed yeah. it and even she, she missed one earlier i think in this match so i do like the idea of kind of focusing on this a little bit and just seeing if she'll you know sink this shot and you know where are things gonna go from here um it's good it's it's compelling it's it's sports and entertainment in a good way nick that's right uh this 
if I remember the, if I'm looking at the scoreboard correctly from how it was in previous chapters, it looks like Aime is currently winning. But of course, I mean, like when it's that little of a difference between the scores, like <laughs> I wouldn't count them as safe or anything. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see how things go for Chinatsu's team. Yeah, uh, right. Nick, we went, we had a real heartwarming chapter there. Uh, can we follow, can we follow that up with something equally as uh, pleasant for us? Sure, Quinn. Let's do that. Chainsaw Man, <laughs> chapter one hundred fifty-two. Massage. Oh, nice, relaxing massage. Got to get some nice, you know, proper care. You know, ease out those sore muscles. Yeah, it's a Denji's turned into Chainsaw Man because uh-huh. his house was just lit on fire. Yay. Yeah, he's going to get a massage because he needs one after all of that. Uh, he's going to mm-hmm. realize that he shouldn't uh, be so, so aggressive and he's going to ask for a massage. That's right. Uh, people immediately react to the appearance of Chainsaw Man, although some people are like, oh, it's a Chainsaw Man wannabe because, I mean, that's understandable given everything that's happened so far. The other weapons devils immediately are like, all right, here we go. And go into their uh, transformations uh, so we get a nice look at what the uh, Whip Devil does. Uh I think it's the Whip Devil. No, that's the... um, God, what is he? He's like the Spear Devil or something like that. Yes, I believe the Spear Devil. Which Which it looks like he just rips it out of his own spine. So that's fun. Yeah. As you do. Naita tells Denji, like, hey... This is a bad idea. We should run. And Denji says, no, get out of my way. Uh, and I don't like that, Nick. Already not a good, not a good start. Uh, she is shocked by this and kind of like gets taken away to the side by uh, some random bystander woman. Uh, and Denji starts talking to himself and, and saying, like, I'm the worst star I, Pachita. They'd burn down my home with my pets inside it. And I feel like a million bucks because I get to be Chainsaw Man now. Uh, the other weapons devils attack and he clashes with them. Uh, the spear devil guy drives a spear through Denji's back and is like, yeah, come on. do You can do better than that. Give us a real scare. And uh, Denji starts bleeding. And revs up his chainsaws and cuts his own body in half in order to to, to cut the spear devil in half. <laughs> and just the, everything falls into the to the ground in pieces. Uh, a guy in the audience throws up. Understandable. Uh huh. And uh, then before the spear devil guy can recover, uh, chainsaw man turns over and starts eating him. Uh, <laughs> just immediately. <laughs> Oh no, Denji's gonna have to retract his it only happened one time thing rule. Yep. Uh it's not good. Uh he, he literally like uses his one of his blades to cut the guy's head off uh, and starts digging into him. The whip devil goes, Yeah, don't stop it, spit him out, stop it, and he just whips out with his arms, cuts her legs, one of her legs off, and uh just goes on her and says, like, all right, you want me to cook my food first? Uh, she calls out for Sugo, the uh, sword devil, uh, and uh, he rushes in and manages to drive her off of her body, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and 
there's immediately just a simultaneous impalement between the two of them. And uh, that's bad for you if you've done that with Denji, because he'll just keep on going. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> so that happens. And Denji's um, in a good place right now. Like, uh, uh, Nayuta calls out to him and Denji says, the thing about massages is too much force. They hurt. But there's this sweet spot where the pain turns into pleasure. And now you're just like, what the hell are you talking about? We've got to go. we got to leave. And then she says, you know what, Nayuta? Maybe you shouldn't be around anymore. Ooh. You can't say that. The fuck, uh, Denji? You're a fucking dickhead. And he says, because for me, this is where it hurts just right. And damn, do I feel good. And then he laughs in the way that heroes do. Uh, <laughs> while, while, by the way, he's like doing this <laughs> inside of the other guy's body. With <laughs> the <chainsaw laughs> he's just essentially uh, eviscerating this poor kid with his chainsaw. I should say poor kid. He was complicit in the murder of a lot of animals just recently. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, this is brutal. This is so painful to read. Um, it's always tough to watch a hero kind of fall. Uh, you know, they need to do it to sometimes create drama. Uh, but one of the strongest uh, constants in Chainsaw Man Part 2 is that Denji, uh, maybe for some of the flaws within himself and Nayuta, uh, did have a strong kind of sibling relationship with her. And the idea that he has been pushed into being Chainsaw Man and is uh, embracing it so much that he is uh, pushing her away is uh, deeply, deeply upsetting to read and look at. Um, it's very sad. I I hope uh, I hope uh, this doesn't uh, ruin their relationship. Uh, but mm. I feel like narratively it has to. <laughs> so, yeah. Denji was approached by Yoshida uh, and was told that he had to choose between being Chainsaw Man and having a happy family. And Denji was like, no, I don't. I don't. I choose both. I'm mm -hmm. not going to make a choice. And he has been forced to choose to be Chainsaw Man and not have that happy family life. It's gone the way that the bad guys wanted it to. And in spite of the fact that this is, you know, Denji returning to the mask, so to speak, and having this big triumphant return, it's a tragedy uh, because he's become not himself in order to do it. And it's sad. Yeah. This also this, very bloody. <laughs> yeah, this is bloody and gruesome and uh, it's great gore. If you're if you're like a real gore head, uh, Austin Yorsky should should read this chapter. He loves the gore. He loves the gore, Nick. Um, but that said, uh, it's a painful chapter to read because you know how much this is damaging one of the few positive relationships. Positive with an asterisk, but positive uh, relationship Denji really has in the world right now. Troubled, but positive. Yeah, yeah. it's him kind of noting like I I'm not good. Hmm. Kaiju number eight, chapter 100. Hooray. 
Uh, last time Ichikawa showed up right when he needed to uh, to fend off the hordes of kaiju that are keeping Kafka from going to try and save Mina. We get a big two-page color spread of just a bunch of our ka- kaiju hunter characters all in a big group pose together. Uh, ain't that nice? Yeah. But it's wrong! Uh... Ichikawa immediately demonstrates that he is uh, not to be messed with because uh, one of the massive kaiju appears behind him, bears down on him, and Kafka warns him, and Ichikawa just waves his hand and says, who said you could move? And a whole bunch, all his wings disperse uh, and shoot out uh, like missiles and create this like ice beam effect that just freed it in place. Uh, and Kafka's like, holy shit, he just defeated this Daikaiju instantly. This is Kaiju number six's power. Uh, and then he starts, Kafka starts to tear up a bit. He's like, Ichikawa, you came for me. And Ichikawa says, it's not just me. And we immediately get a montage of all of the cool agents from the third division showing up to save the day. All of these characters that I definitely remember and don't feel like got kind of introduced to me in the second Kaiju number eight chapter we'll talk about later. It's that guy I and know, that person I know and it, Iharu. I was going to say, I know Iharu. I know Shark Boy. Uh, but these other characters, I'm like... Sure. Absolutely. I love that Haruichi and Kag- Kagaragi have shown up. My, those are my favorite characters. She's got a really cool uh, bow now. It's got like gun stuff on it. Yeah, so. it's a, it actually is a pretty cool bow. Yeah. Uh, and, and Iharu has a big old um, footlocker that he's got strapped over his shoulder. So, hmm. Uh, and yeah, everyone shows up in order to help out. Uh, Ichikawa again says, like, sir, please go. Your needs elsewhere. Uh, and Kafka starts to protest. He's like, but, but. And Ichikawa just bonks him on the head with one of his wing feather things. And he's like, I want to hear any butts out of you. I've had enough. Enough of letting you carry all the weight while I do nothing but get protected. I'll clear a path for you. You get yourself to Captain Ashiro, sir. And Kafka looks into Ichikawa's eyes and he remembers what Kikura told him, which is like, Reno's a soldier too. Quit insulting us by acting this way. Uh-huh. And Kafka realizes I was trying to find on my own again. Uh, which, I mean, is understandable. The situation they were in, the pressure he was under, he lost sight of what he was trying not to do. Uh, so he looks at Reno, who turns to face all the Daikaiju in the way, and he thinks about some of their time early on together, uh, when they were recruits, when Ichikawa gave him that freaking piggyback ride <laughs> in the track and field bit, uh, and now he's standing there super ridiculously strong. Uh, so Kafka smacks himself in the head to gather himself, and he says, my eyes have been opened. You can handle things here, partner. And Reno clearly, you know, reacts to this. He's like, oh, uh, no, that's what I was telling you. Yeah, yeah, come on. Let's do it. Let's go. And Kafka is reinvigorated. He says to himself, I have teammates that I can trust to have my back. And he and Reno get a big, cool, side-by-side, badass buddies pose together. 
And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. Uh, so this is a fine chapter. Um, I was a little disappointed. It didn't feel like the plot moved forward at all in Not any way. All. <laughs> uh, but I also was like, all right, it's chapter 100. You kind of wanted to have that like sort of iconic feel to it, at least to some degree. So the idea of being like, okay, all all your old friends are showing up again. I I know Iharu, but there's like two other characters that they show here that I'm like, sure. Uh, the one dude, <laughs> the the dude with the big like f- uh, fucking coffin on his back or whatever. I was like straight up like I have no idea who you are. The other character, I'm like I think I may have seen them before, uh, but the other dude, I'm like straight up. I was like no idea. Um, but that said, it's still cool. It's just one of those chapters that, like, if you remove this, not a whole lot else changes. I I, I can't imagine we're setting up for a whole bunch of more one-on-one fights or something like that. I honestly would be stunned if these guys really even got much time to spotlight in all of this. Um, but, you know, I do like that all of Kafka's uh, former division has shown up to help him here. Yeah. The point of this chapter is very much... It's chapter 100 of Kaiju number eight. And that's just kind of it. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 totally fine for what it is. But yes, 100% agreed. It does not move the plot forward at all. <laughs> you could have skipped this and just moved on to the next piece. Yeah. Um, but Quinn. We have another one. Before we get to that, uh, can you just check your mic cord real quick? See if uh, it's loose or anything like that. It might be. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's more kaiju number eight what if what you you sat here nick and you were like well we've had our kaiju film for one week uh when actually what if you could have a little bit more what if you could know more about the coolest character in all of kaiju number eight hoshino uh yeah this is kaiju number eight b-side uh it's a side series it's you know like we get these things occasionally when a series becomes successful like hey here's a mini spin-off series that we're going to do uh and you could say that i mean like yeah all right it's, like, it's gonna start hushina okay fine sign me up cool good done uh yeah i honestly this first chapter of this new side series which is co-written by uh, Masumoto, who's the mangaka of Kaiju Number Eight, and Keiji Ando, who has written a Kaiju Number Eight light novel, so has experience writing stuff already, uh, and is drawn by Kentaro Hidano, who is the illustrator of uh, Super Smartphone and Ziga. So, it's, it's just some interesting <laughs> combinations of stuff there. Yeah, but. A lot of the stuff in this first chapter, honestly, is just is mostly like a couple of scenes that we have already seen before in much briefer glimpses uh, strung together and extended and expanded upon a little bit. Uh, And then there is a bit where there's a kendo fight scene. And that's just that's the majority of the new content that is in this first chapter. Uh, we get a reiteration of, you know, Hoshino when he was training. He was told, like, look, you're not set fit to be part of the defense force because you specialize in blades and the era of blades is long over and you don't excel in other aspects of this 
mission. You should use put your abilities with the blade to becoming a teacher uh, instead. Uh, the story itself is at the point where the third division has had their first mission together. That one where Kafka just demonstrated that he had know-how. He did the dissection of one of the Kaiju units that helped out his team, even when he could not contribute to the battle directly. Uh, and then he gets interviewed afterwards. And I am 99% certain we've seen the bit before where he basically just describes to the people who interview him that Kafka is comic relief for the team. I think that he said that previously. Uh, but we also have the added context now, and he says the, that I came across someone like him a long time ago, someone who was not suited for this, but he and he was told all the time to give up. He was the same kind of fool as him. Uh, and of course, we now know with context, he's talking about himself. Uh, and so this definitely helps to, you know, blend the idea of like, yeah, of course, Hoshino likes Kafka because so, he oh. reminds him of himself that way. Then we get the Kendo fight scene. And yeah, uh, we're going to get a bit more uh, uh, to know some of the people in the third division that we just kind of like skated by before. Uh, such as like, hey, remember, uh, this guy was the powerhouse of the team. He's really strong. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and everyone's like, you know, all just, like stepping up, trying to challenge Hoshina. And I do like that there is a moment where literally... Reno, Kafka, and Iharu all step forward one by one. It's like, I want to challenge you to a match. It's like, okay. <laughs> Immediately KOs them all instantly. Uh, and uh, then uh, Kikaru steps up and immediately, like Hoshina can tell that she's a level above the others. But also, he knows that she couldn't be more different from me. She had all of this talent from the beginning, and she's outstanding, even before all the training that she's going to have ahead of her. Uh, and he flashes back to even to before this point, to essentially just his first meeting with Captain Mina, which was ahead of a goodwill kendo match that was going to take place between his division and the third division. He was called in to meet with Mina, uh, who was very nice and polite to him. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, what do you want to talk about? So, oh, yeah, well, I, I, I know that you have your superior sword technique. I hear that you're a blade specialist. And Hoshino just kind of braces himself like, here it comes. It's going to be the same old thing. Like, you should give it up. It's, all, it's past that era. And instead, she just turns around and says, I need your abilities. Will you join my force? Oh, what? Well, you know. It might happen where powerful miniature class threats are going to crop up and we would need some of your expertise. I'm terrible with blades. I try not to wield a kitchen knife if I can. So when I want to need to shoot a threat, can I trust that you would clear a path for me? And Hoshina's just blown away by this. Like No one has ever said that to me, ever seen the value in what I could have up for this. And it's at the point where he... Even as just like, maybe she's just like, maybe this, I no, this this is too good to be true, essentially. So he starts to turn it down, but they immediately get this kaiju attack alert and everyone has to scramble. Hoshida establishes that he has brought his equipment and his suit so he can join in. And Mina's like, yes, as, as the captain of the third division, I will request your aid uh, and you know we'll get the OK from your division as well. Uh, and... 
weird scarred no guy just is like no he's useless what is he doing here he just shows up very late in order to be a douche to Hoshida. it's like no you can't do that and and Mina says like we've got a class threat that you would be helpful against and she turns to him like isn't that right and, he's, and he says yep when it comes to neutralizing miniature kaiju no one even comes close to me so that's the first chapter of this new side series that we have Mm. yeah i mean so we know of the relationship that hoshina and ashino have uh or ashino um and ashino ashiro ashiro is there an ashino somewhere you might be confusing her with Mina Ashido. That's from what, well, I'm trying My to remember. It's, yeah, there's an Ash, there's a Mina Ashido and a Mina Asha something. Oh, Ashiro, Ashiro. Uh, so I, I like that we get to see this because um, this is actually, I think, one of the more interesting dynamics in the series, like relationships that exist. And I feel like we weren't really ever going to get a lot of focus on it because, uh, you know, this isn't the main character and her like Ashiro's sort of uh, important character study is with Kafka and not, not like the rest of her division. So it's nice getting to see this relationship and how it formed. Cause this is actually really interesting. Ashiro seems like fun in this chapter. Again, a character personality trait that didn't come she's, across. Quirky. Yeah. In, like in this interaction. Yeah. Like normally the idea of like woman can't cook is like an annoying thing, but I, I actually kind of enjoy it here. Cause she's just like, Yes, uh, we need to be able to handle these things, and I have no idea how to handle uh, weaponry of that uh, size. Uh, I also don't know how to use a kitchen knife uh, because I'm 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 poor equipped. And uh, Hoshina is just like, I don't. These aren't the same skill sets. <laughs> like he's just kind of quietly <laughs> saying to himself, like that's that. that yeah, is really entirely happens. unrelated. <laughs> yeah, not really applicable. But I get what you're trying to say. So I, I liked it. It's cute. Uh, if we get some more of this, which it looks like we're going to, uh, I'm all for it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think this was fun and Hoshina is the best character. So I like seeing more of him. Yeah, this will be, I think that between, uh, Hoshina being the main character and the promise of potentially getting to see more sides of Mina because she has been on the side for so long. It's just like the distant goal for Kafka to catch up to that. This could be a very uh, fun and valuable side series to have uh, exploring yeah. these uh, two major supporting characters. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely on board with it. Uh, and Nick, it's not the only little extra chapter we got this week. Nope. We also got a chapter of Mashal Magic and Muscles. This is this was unexpected. <laughs> yeah, this is a special little one shot uh, listed as chapter one hundred and twenty six point one. Um. But yeah, we are uh, getting a little chapter of, of Mashal. This is not a, a continuing thing to my knowledge, so uh, we are not going to treat it as such. Uh, I am also not going to recap this moment by moment uh, for multiple reasons, one of which being time. Two, um, it's not really a lot of content to this to, to narrate. Uh, so instead, uh, this is uh, taking place uh, basically a year after the story of Mashal ended. Lance has become the Divine Visionaries. There are everyone else, everyone has gone on to their second year of school. Uh, oh, right. The second season premiered. That's right. Because I've, I've, I've heard the uh, the theme song. Everyone's like, this, this theme song is weird, but it, it, it fucking slaps. I don't know what to tell you. 
Uh, so yeah, everyone's uh, in their second year, and we focus on this little kid who, God, I feel like I read this chapter, and I'm not sure if they ever name him at any point. Uh, he's <laughs> Wahlberg's grandchild, uh, basically, who has uh, specifically clothespin magic. Uh, he can turn stuff into clothespin, uh, and his instructor is uh, very strict, who is just like, no, you need to get stronger at using magic, and this kid is just like, I want to quit magic. I don't want to do it anymore. This sucks. <laughs> yeah. So his instructor's like, no, you need to get uh, stronger so you can live up to your grandfather's reputation. You know what? It- it'll help if you see other young, powerful wizards. So I'm going to take you to Easton Academy. So he takes him there, and this little kid is very invested in his books. He's a little bookworm. Uh, and he's just like, wow, everyone here is really, really cool and like magical abilities determined at birth. So what could a clothesline magic really even do for anything like or clothespins? not going to do anything. Yeah, clothesline magic would be very helpful. You could summon the Steiner brothers and they would help you out. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Also, you could uh, in a more uh, manga example, you could be like Suru from One Piece and dry people out like laundry. That is a <laughs> devil fruit power that exists God. <laughs> um so that's terrifying honestly yeah uh so uh he runs into mash mash is doing a bunch of weird exercises we basically get like a, a, a speed run of all the mash characters and like Pretty their much. fun little personality things lance shows up it is very cool but then dot teases him with a picture of his sister and he turns into like a little cat chasing it uh lemon shows up to piggyback off that joke and is just doing the same thing around mash <laughs> Uh, who's just like, I'm scared. And then Finn, yeah. ha- Finn has to walk up and be like, I'm really sorry <laughs> to this child. Uh, so they're like, hey, be a good example to this young child, specifically pointing out MASH. They're like, all of you are acting as good examples, especially you. And you know it's MASH because he just says, K. Hey. <laughs> um, so they're going to show you how to levitate a rocket. Everyone's doing really well, of course. Mash does it in his normal way by like just like impaling himself into a big rock and then flapping his arms really fast like a, a fucking uh, a hummingbird. So this is how he's really cool. Uh, then we go and it's time to try to train a griffin. Uh, they see that if you try to train this griffin uh, and give it like bad eye contact, it immediately punches you. Uh, but then I fucking love this griffin <laughs> the griffin looks to mash and immediately becomes like a, a fucking high school bully he's a <laughs> yeah he's like hey here's some change go and get me some soda <laughs> big gnarled talents <laughs> uh so if you if you break eye contact with it it freaks out so the bird's gonna try to attack mash and he's, he's like you know melting himself into the floor so he can keep eye contact and everything like that so he has a good little thing there, and then like Lance shows up, but the uh, the the instructor is upset because he's like, all of this is not a good example for this child. He is not learning how to be a great magician at all. So the last exam they're going to do for the day is uh, uh, oh, and there's also a note I should I should mention. Thank you, Ninja. That the teacher is not even sure that this mash is the hero right. they say he was. They're like, mm-hmm, okay, yeah, all right, buddy. Uh, I like how there is one panel where he refers to MASH as MASH Bernadette Hero Citation Needed. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the last reason, the last exam they're going to do is to retrieve an egg from the dragon who lives on a volcano. And uh, they'll get a silver coin for doing this. Uh, so Mash is like, all right, I'm going to do it. Uh, but the dragon becomes agitated. Uh, and this kid is like, oh, I thought, you know, Lance would be here first. I If, if Mash is going to do all this, then I must interfere, basically. So he casts a spell to agitate the dragon uh, to attack Mash, basically, and this instructor is like, hmm, well, I suppose you won't mind if I've aggravated it, and now the young boy will see the consequence of not learning magic. Uh, Dragon just immediately tries to attack uh, the guy <laughs> and, uh, like, gets separated from his wand, and Mash is there with the kid, and he's like, hey, uh, things are gonna get rough here. So you should probably go wait in the shade. And the kid's like, oh, okay, yeah, ow, I hurt myself. So Mash pulls out a handkerchief and uses it to tie the kid's wound up. And it's like, there you go. Um, do you like uh, b- books? <laughs> 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 the reason he asks, he's like, because when the dragon attacked, you guarded that book with your life. And the kid's like, yes, I do. I, You know, it upsets my teacher, but I believe, you know, books are so practical. You know, precious. I, I like books as a way to escape, and I don't even really like practicing magic all that much. And you know, you're so amazing too. You you compete with others even without magic. It's just like fake it till you make it. Uh, and the kid's like, "Do you think I could be like you? Like, do you think I could be somebody who doesn't need magic?" Uh, and the kid's reminded of his teacher and the, the harsh instructions and everything like that. He's apparently been held back from school, all these things. And Mash just honestly answers, I don't know. But I don't see why it wouldn't be possible. And the important thing is that you do the best you can do. So Mash is going to get going, but the kid's like, no, let me help. We cut over to the instructor who's about to be attacked by this dragon. He's like, please, somebody save me. And what should show up, Nick, but a clothespin right into the dragon's nostrils. God. <laughs> and the little kid uh, is, is giving his whole explanation about the dragons in this region and how they spew toxic gas. But, you know, most of their, no- their nerves that do that are in their nose. So basically, they should attack the nose. And uh, it works. I like, Ma- I like Mash's reaction, which is, wow, you're smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the teacher is saved, and the little kid gives his whole thing of like, look, I've decided that even if I'm complete rubbish at magic, I'm going to try to do my best. So instructor's like, oh, he has he has grown from this. But the clothespin enough isn't isn't everything. The dragon is about to breathe its big fiery attack. The little kid has his book smart to be like, oh, no, the breath of this dragon burns at over 3000 degrees Celsius, which is crazy hot it feels like insanely hot uh he's going to burn the whole area to a crisp uh he he shoots his attack and mash inhales and then shoots it out (laughs) and it blows out all of the fire and uh clears away for mash to uh jump in and kick the dragon right in the chin and uh, that is enough for the instructor to be like, you know, maybe this guy maybe, saving maybe the whole world. The world. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe he is the hero <laughs> we were told of. So the end of the chapter is uh, the young boy uh, going back to studying uh, practical magic and book magic. And he's going to do the best he could do to one day be like Mash. And he's hung up the little 
uh, bunny rabbit handkerchief that Mash gave him. And we just end the chapter with uh, Mash back at school eating a, a cream puff. And he must have just told them the story. And everyone's like, what? I think that the joke is that the kid says, like, I'm going to be the best I can to one day be like Mash. A person who can always cheer up others. And Mash's like, well, what? Uh, he's like, he's reacted to the narrative. That actually makes more sense. At first, I, I thought it was uh, Lemon being uh, surprised. And that's why. But actually, I think that's just a natural expression she has anytime she sees Mash. Yeah. Ah, it's my husband. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, this that's the chapter. This is nothing of any real consequence. If you were like, I can't wait to see how the world of magic and <laughs> magic and uh, muscles has changed. Uh, it hasn't. So. No. This is a weird, really weird because it's like, wow, what a nice pilot chapter. It's got like that feel to it of like almost being an introduction to this world just to spotlight the main character uh, by having them be viewed through the eyes of an outsider who has never met them before, especially a young person who has never met them before. Uh, so we just, you know, just kind of have a bunch of examples of like what we liked about Mashold, you know, cool art, nice fight scenes, and a lot of ridiculous humor involving mash being absurdly strong in ridiculous ways uh, i love the two-page spread where he blows away the dragon's fire it's a really cool image uh of, and the dragon looks like you can see shock starting to settle in on it uh and then of course there's you know the teacher and then the kid both reacting like what the fuck did we just watch uh it's 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 nice it's a good it's a good example chapter of mashable yeah yep very fine uh enjoyable all the way through uh and now we have a spy family chapter a spy family chapter it's mission 93 uh last chapter was all about anya trying her best to to prep for the term finals so that she could get that stella oh man it could it, did, did she Get the, the, the classic language, uh, Stella Star. Well, we find out the results. Everyone runs off when they hear that the exam grades have all been posted. Uh, and so they rush out to see where it is. And uh, we get the results in this order, which is uh, Becky uh, is 38th overall in the class. So she's like, oh, I went up a few spots. Uh, and Anya is looks around for hers. And she got 168th, which is a big jump for her. She was, you know, very close to being in the bottom of, of the class before. Uh, so Damien's like, it's just a fluke, it's just a fluke. Uh, but I says, it's no fluke. I am the top scorer in classical language, you know. So like, all right, let's check the subject rankings. And Damien got the highest score in history. So he gets a Stella that because the top two people in the score get it uh and uh you know so the different people are, are mar marking with they got becky got fifth in language studies uh and the others are like oh we didn't get it we were so close to getting it and nanya's like all right now let's look at the top classical language score there the top score on the classical language exam and that student's name is Arnold Crowley! Oh, it wasn't me. She immediately <laughs> collapsed. Like, she has this big trap of moment of announcing the name. Like, even as she's reading it, she hasn't realized it. So she's all upset about it and collapses and is depressed. Uh, and then Becky's like, wait, hold on a second. 
the second highest is Anya Forger. So everyone is in shock over this because that means that Anya got a Stella for academic achievement because she was number two in the with the score. So she gets a big, huge reaction. She, she freaks out, goes, what? And just is running around, flapping her arms, going, what? So everyone's like, wow, good job, Anya. Wow. Uh, and then they go like, oh, wait a second. Oh, your name's up here too, Forger. Anya Forger, math, 24 points, which is below the cutoff, which means you get its Nitrous Bolt. And Anya has the same reaction going, Wah! but instead of flapping her arm, she's like clutching her head. <laughs> I love it because like it even changes what's above her head and everything like that and like how people react. It's just very funny. Yeah. And then uh, Mr. Henderson comes by and is like, I've never seen a student earn a Stella and a Tenetris during the same final exams before. <laughs> Poor Anya. So, and he goes home, shares the news with uh, her parents, and Lloyd like turns into a fish. He's <laughs> so shocked by this. Uh, and Anya explains herself in a way that makes sense, which is that she had worked so hard on the classical language test that she dozed off during the math test afterwards. She was all tuckered out and, and, and couldn't hold her up through it. Yeah. So, so Lloyd pauses for a second, and he says, says to himself, I'm not going to scold her for that. And he smiles and says, you did a wonderful job, Anya. Uh, and he's like, yeah, she's really progressed. She's made some big strides here. This is good. And Anya is all alight and happy over this. She also shares the news with uh, their neighbors. And Sig uh, says, oh, it's wonderful. You got a stellar star. And now you've learned the joy of being rewarded for hard work, a treasure even greater than a stellar. One day you'll experience the frustration of realizing that hard work is not always rewarded, <laughs> but learning that is a treasure as well. And I was like, wait, treasure? Are you going to will me your estate? That's not what I said. <laughs> I like that she knows that, though. She's like, are you going to give me all your money when you die? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. Um... And uh, so she's got to get ready for the award ceremony tomorrow. So they, you know, she, Lloyd tells her to get ready for bed. Uh, and as he's, you know, tucked her in, uh, he kind of turns to her and says, Anya, when you were younger, were you ever in an environment where classical language was used? And Anya just kind of stares up at him for a second. And then she shakes her head and says, I don't, I don't remember much from back then. So he's like, oh, okay. Fair enough. So a little bit of a, hmm. Because, uh, of course, we know where Anya came from, and maybe there's some sort of connection there. But we progress to the next day, and uh, it's a big award ceremony. Damien gets Estella for being the highest scorer in history. Anya gets Estella for being the second highest scorer in classical language. And uh, again, people are like, I can't believe she got Estella for doing well on the test. Um, and then comes the middle schooler awards. You know, all the elementary schoolers filter out and the middle schoolers go in. And they announce the top scoring second year middle schoolers. Ben Bernard... Demetrius Desmond, highest scorer in math, second highest scorer in biology, highest scorer in physics, 
second highest score in history, second highest in primary foreign language, highest in, se- in secondary foreign language. He gets like eight Stellas in yeah. one ceremony. <laughs> he immediately gets a whole bunch. And uh, Damien waits outside for his brother to come out. We get a nice big look at Demetrius for the first time. Uh, that boy's got a cowlick, and that boy needs to go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> he's He's got the uh, the rings under the eyes, and he's like, you're like 12, kid. You need some sleep. Uh, you can't be going around like that. Uh, so, you know, all everyone's like, oh, my God, it's, Dave, it's, it's Damien's older brother and stuff. I heard he got six Stellas from this term's finals and everything. And Damien's greeting him and stuff. And uh, Anya's like, oh, if I can read Super Scion Boy's mind, maybe I could go from genius to super genius. <laughs> uh, but she reads uh, Demetrius's mind and it's just just blank. Yeah. Flat lines. And she's like, what? I'm not getting anything. Am I, am I too far away to read his mind? Uh, but as Damien starts talking to Demetrius, who manages to say, like, I heard you got the top score in a subject. She hears him say in his mind, I don't understand him. And I was like, oh, I do. Understand. I can hear him. OK. Um, and Damien starts to say, like, yeah, I was wondering if father said anything about Stella, I got this poor boy. He just he just wants love. It's all he wants. So Demetrius pauses and then he turns around and he's like, "How would I know? It's not like I'm in regular contact with him," which is news to Damien, who kind of just thought that his older brother was just the favored son who got their father's attention. No, sorry, kid, your dad's just an asshole. That's <laughs> that's all it is. Uh, but as he walks off. Demetrius is, th- is thinking to himself, I don't understand father. Damien's friends say something to him. He thinks, I don't understand people. Who cares about all of this? All this is pondering about all this is just a waste of time. And he stops thinking about it. And his mind goes flat lines again. No longer thinking about this stuff. Very and, <laughs> Yeah. And Ani is just like, man, all of Scion's boys' relatives are such weirdos. <laughs> Accurate. Accurate. <laughs> it's a mentally fucked up family, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, and so Damien is, you know, kind of in shock over this. Like, wait, I thought that Demetrius and father had a close relationship. But when he was little, father barely left his side and he used to watch him study all the time. I thought that he just didn't like spending time with me. <sighs> Give this boy a hug. God. He's six. <laughs> Uh, so the day ends and Anya goes home and we do end on, on, on a silly joke, uh, because she's trying to make a face like Demetrius and is just trying to just lay out flat lines in her speech and everything. Uh, and Lloyd Rats is like, are you telling me you lost your Stella? And, and Anya says, I'm going to just do this for now and until I become a super genius. Why, what do you expect is going to happen? I don't understand. I but love, you do understand. <laughs> I, I love it because uh, like we understand how Anya got to this point. She used her mind reading. It's all like everything makes sense. But as like a parent, Lloyd just there. And this is how she came home. And she's like, if I stop, st- if I don't stop, blinking, if I stop blinking and just think nothing but uh, lines, I'll become smarter. And he's just like, 
what the fuck happened? You were just supposed to get the star. What happened in between? Uh, and so that updates our count for Anya, which is that she's five still stars from being an Imperial st- Scholar and five to Dietrich's Bolts from being expelled. So it's dead even again. It yeah. feels I'm pretty sure we're just going to get this way all the way up to the finish, maybe. <laughs> Very, very, very likely. Uh, but it's a fun chapter. Uh, again, uh, the uh, Desmond family, very, very complicated. This is like a new wrench in all of it. Um, but it continues to add interesting lore. So uh, yeah. good stuff. Now, let's talk about another series, Nick, that's exquisite at uh, build, exquisite. Bu- building up character relationships and intrigue to just really keep you at the edge of your seat. That is, of course, Eden Zero, Chapter 270, The Hermit Special. So last time uh, they managed to get all of the the Shining Star codes. So they've shut down the Eden Zero. They've deactivated it so it cannot self-destruct. And they're like, good job. But the countdown's still going on, Nick. And uh, that's when uh, Killer? I can't remember this character's name. I think Killer. He pops in. Killer, Killer is the virus guy, yes. Okay. Uh, he shows up and he's like, you're such an idiot. My plan was to get you to shut down uh, your ship all along so I could ram it with mine. Stupid plan. Stupid fucking master, plan. Master hacker. <laughs> what a fucking stupid plan on so many levels. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about all the things that you could do when there's a ship floating dead in space in order to fuck with it. You could do anything. You could, like, bombard it with missiles, with lasers, with bombs. You could uh, reveal that you've just set a second bomb inside of it this whole time. No, I'm going to ram my ship into yours. The one thing that will put my safety at risk as well as yours. The one thing that will be as dangerous to my survival as yours. Um so everyone's like, oh, my God, this is so bad. It's it's a it's a trap. We have to reboot the systems. Uh, but he's like, oh, it's too late. You're done for. And then the Eden's one stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone is like, huh? <laughs> yeah. And there's little uh, I don't even know what this is. Like he's inside the digital space. So I guess this starts taking place in the digital space. And Weiss is like. I can't believe you were so obsessed with your little plan. You didn't even notice the one was getting bored. You must be pretty stupid. And he punches Killer in the face. Uh, And he's like, how did you access my digital space? He's like, oi, I dived in. My body's asleep on the Eden Zero. And he's like, but the Eden Zero shut down. Dive pods can't be functioning. And he's oh, like, boy, he does. <laughs> he's like, well, that's interesting, mate, because I built a pod that doesn't run on the power grid of anything else. All special willy-nilly, I did. It runs on energizer batteries, it does. <laughs> 17,000 batteries powering me up for the next 15 seconds, it is, it is. Uh, and he says, all right, fine. I gotta take you down for uh, beating me in the last world. So he activates Arsenal Mark Zero. And I don't know why. They're in a digital space. So I guess they have to have a digital fight 
See the other fucking going digital. Yeah, the other dorks like you think you could beat me, and he summons a bunch of gun swords or something. They all miss, and he Arsenal's like, "You can't beat me in the digital world." And Hermit adds in, she's like, "Who do you think you're talking to? You can't beat us in the digital world." So she just, I don't know, she fucking types. On computers or something. Jack in, NT Warrior. <laughs> yeah, this is some straight uh, fucking Mega Man shit. She just gives Arsenal wings, and they're like, "Yeah, this is the the Hermit special." I don't know what the wings do. He just shoots a gun. <laughs> he didn't need the wings to dodge anything. And then I don't know if Hermit does this. Or what this even accomplishes, but a bunch of metal comes together to make big giant arms for Arsenal, and he, he like, Donkey Kong slams the ground. I think this hits Killer some way, but he's not in the panel when it happens, so he gets knocked away by something. And Herman and and Wise are very happy because they did teamwork together to defeat them. And Killer's like, ah, I've been knocked out of my digital space. Well, I'll just start the program over. And then uh, Laguna shows up and says, that won't be necessary. You've already lost. And I guess he was crying in his heart like the other robots because he turns into water like everything else or hits him with water. Anyway, they save the day. Killer's been defeated. Yeah. Um, can I shock you? This is my favorite Eden Zero chapter in forever. You're going to blow my mind. I guess, I guess, uh, all right, hold on. I'm going to pull back from that. In the sense that nothing has been good for months. The idea that some... Oh, it's damning with faint praise, but... <laughs> but the idea that something character-related happened. Is that why? Something character-related happened. It was just a straightforward, this is just an action scene. Stuff, in terms of what the heroes do, makes a Mashima hero sort of sense in terms of how they did this as out of this app like he put fucking up different power source on the one pod that he hopped into whatever sure uh and it's nice that it's like hey so we just get like a simple thing of like look it's gonna be Weiss he puts on his suit and Hermit's like hey here's some power up and, and they beat the shit out of this guy and they shoot a laser at him and then he gets two giant fists and smashes them like you said like Donkey Kong and knocks Killer out of it. And the Killer's like, well, fine, but I haven't lost yet. And then Luguna shows up and turns him into water. It's like, good, done, tight, over. The villain's defeated. Nice. Uh, I don't know why that timer still has 20 seconds on it. That's still concerning. 20 seconds is the uh, most dramatically satisfying time. Exactly. (laughs) And there was no stupid flashback to a thousand years ago that added nothing. Sure. Uh, And... There was no character that we had met before uh, with a bunch of like sudden info dumping for them. And there was no stupid bullshit involving Ziggy's plan or anything. It was Hacker being like, Mahaha, my evil plan. And Wife's like, nope, shoots him, defeats him, done. Nice, tight chapter. Perfect. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, immense praise from Nick. 
let's move on to the, uh, I guess, basically the second half of our recap this week. Uh, Cypher Academy, chapter 55. Yeah. So uh, we had everyone doing it's they reached the finals of the virtual world floor as we got the indication that uh maybe things were being accelerated towards the end well uh this chapter confirmed that uh because we need to get these people eliminated quickly as everyone participates in round table calculator flash mental math uh, essentially, it is everyone is going to name in sequence uh, numbers of three digits or less, and the 16th player in the sequence has to total all the numbers together, all of them. And if you can't keep up, then you drop out. If you name a number that has been said before in this entire game, then you're also out. And it's like, okay, sure. But we're all, you know, cypher soldiers. This is, you know, just like combining like two basic skills, which is just arithmetic and memorization. And Mew uh, says that is true, which is why we're going to play this game while dancing at the same time. So we get a massive dance party battle with everyone <laughs> all together. I I love how much is going on in all these yeah. group shots. You can see that everything kicks off with this big two-page spread. You can see that there are people who are very skilled at dancing. Quoka the bear is doing a fucking split-legged handstand. And then there's just Ensa over on the side awkwardly flailing her sleeves <laughs> around because she's not good at dancing. Uh, and we get this big, you know, splash page of everyone dancing while naming numbers in sequence. And then it gets to the end and someone has to call out the answer for what they all add up to. Uh, and we get some commentary from the Peanuts Gallery. And fucking Kogoe says, can't say this too loudly, but I wish all wars around the world would end <laughs> like this. <laughs> It's really sweet in a weird way. Yeah. Can't we? Why do we have to kill each other? Can't we all just get in a massive dance battle while doing mental math? Yeah, can't we all just dance and try to add numbers? Why can't we be friends? Why can't we just we'll be adding up numbers together in sequence? It, it, it really is like, you know what? Most problems in the world should be solved by doing a round of uh, murder mystery party trivia from Jackbox. <laughs> It gets to a point where eventually Ensa's the first one eliminated. Oh, she she like stumbles on it. And we get an indication that she did get a couple of answers in prior to this mm -hmm. because this is the 21st turn. So everyone's been going at this uh, for the entire time and without without fail. And Ensa kind of turns to Iroha and she starts to say something like, hey, once this battle's over, but he but he finishes the thought for her by saying, Yeah, once this battle's over, I'll be the code emperor. Uh, and they share a little smile while she logs out. And then we get the best, the best Kagoe <laughs> the best Kagoe explanation uh footnote ever, which is actually from view instead. So the the explanation is upside down. <laughs> I didn't even try to read it. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just gonna hope it's great. Uh, after that point, we don't really get anything anymore. 
uh, we just see people like suddenly logging out in sequence, yeah. and it does feel in a way like, oh man, we didn't get to see like some of these characters just have a payoff because suddenly the series is just ending. Yeah, uh, so all all of the rival characters have to leave. Uh, Yogata has to leave, and you're like, damn, she's yeah, maybe like the third most. Or I guess they they added it, but yeah, just like. The idea of like Yogata just kind of unceremoniously kind of being eliminated, you're like Damn. she just quits. Yeah, she, we gotta. I love the way that it happens too. Which we got, we gotta keep Yogata strong. We can't, we can't have her look weak in defeat. Uh, we gotta protect her. We gotta do a dusty finish, uh, which is because it's the sixteenth person to that has to call out the answer. She has landed on the point where there's eight people left. And she's the one who has to give the answer. So she would have to be giving the answer every single round. It would never get passed to someone else. So she's just like, oh, I'm screwed then. So she just quit. So that's just her typical luck. She has some last words with Toshisai as well, which is, you know, Toshisai's like, that was fun. It's been a while since we got to play together so much. And you got to like, yeah, it was fun for me too, Kyo. I mean, ma'am, stumbled a little bit. It's like, you guys are friends. It's okay. Uh, and then it's just like, hey, all these characters that kind of had some side things going on, so they're just gone. Just yeah. Kubinashi, done. Riku Keito, done. Invalidates Yunaku Guisu, done. Which leaves the final four as being Toshisai and Iroha with Yusamura and uh, anonymity requested. So it's the four finalists from their leading private battle all participating together again. And now they're like, hey, the person who is like the permanent answer right now is Irohazaka. Uh and but he's thriving. He's he's just getting to dance with his friends, and so he's rock solving codes and he's really, really happy. And he's thinking to himself as he's participating with the three of them, like, I was way below them in skill when we played the leaky poker before. I sort of feel like they let me win. But now I'm happy I can compete against them on equal footing. So Aww. We've all come so far. Uh, we get a sequence where anonymity basically uh, freaking. <laughs> she basically uh, inceptions Yosemura into calling a number that has already been used before by like just constantly using numbers that have seven in them. And so because of that, she eventually lands on one that has been used before. And so she's like, shit, well, that, that's it for me. Uh, but she gives everyone, you know, she has a moment of like, ah, that wasn't fair. But then she gives everyone a thumbs up and she says, I'm going to cook up some Baumku Chen with the rest of our classmates. I will kind of wait for you guys to come back. Aww. Uh, and that brings it down to Iroha and Toshisai and anonymity requested. And they kind of realize like anonymity did that on purpose. She thought that it'd make the game easier if she knocked out Yosemura before Irohozaka just collapsed. Uh, but then they, they're they like, that's why she's lost, though. Because Toshisai and Iroha clearly gang up on her from that point. <laughs> uh, it gets to a point where uh, Toshisai says the number one and as a result of that, enemy requested is forced to call out the answer in 946. And she's like, I didn't call out the number, the wrong number. I, that, is, that is the right number. And Toshisai says, yeah, the rule is you can't call out a number that's already been used. The sum that I just forced you to get 
was used in the first round of the game. Iroha oh. called that number out in the first round, so you can't use it even as the answer. And uh, so Anime is shocked by this, and she's like, yeah, sorry, it wasn't my idea. Irohazaka shot me a look and basically told me to do it by communicating it to me, to add one to the number before handing it over to you. So, and Anime is like, well, shit. Uh, Irohazaka thinks to himself, like, it would have been easier to drop Toshisai with that strategy, but instead of me, Irohazaka chose to go on to the champion. Oh, that's what Amnibi requests. The thing is like, it would have been better for him if he had taken out Toshisai this way, but he wanted to go to the championship with his rival. Yeah. So, uh, she has a moment of regret. She grosses and she's like, oh, you're making me jealous now. And she logs out, and that leaves Iroha and Toshisai who go on to the final floor and that this is it the big yeah. finale of of this and as a result the finale of the series is coming in uh this is a really fun chapter yeah. uh, like all the stuff that happens in this there's a lot of really quick little character moments and interactions that happen some disappointing finishes for a lot of characters that were being set up during this arc because we're wrapping things up now but it feels like a nice celebration uh, as things draw to a close. And it just fairly feel good. Yeah, I like it. This is a fun chapter. Um, it's intense. There's so much like kinetic energy in a chapter where characters are just talking. Like I, I wish uh, I could somehow just inject like a, like an 80th of this energy into like Boruto, which also mm. has characters have like a bunch of talking, but is done in the most boring way possible. Whereas here it's so dynamic and fun and like energizing. Um, it's a shame that this series definitely does seem to be ending. Um, and it's a shame we don't get to get any kind of closure with a couple characters that felt like they were getting built up, but it is very satisfying. I love how Yosh uh, Yosimura and Anonymity Requested both get like kind of little goodbye moments there and like, Hey, we're, we're Toshisai and Aroha and I think it's going to be really, really cool to see the conclusion to all this, where how we're going to end it. All right. That's going to bring us into Green, Green, Greens. Chapter 6 conclusion. The last time Haku was able to get to seemingly tap into the secret, he hit the ball 291 yards, which surpasses Chikara's best mark so far. And so it was like, oh, man, how the hell did he manage that? Uh, and uh, one of the other workers turns to Chikara and is like, you know, you did say you'd quit if you lost, so he looks at his glove, and then he punches himself in the face with his free hand, and is like, I'm sorry, Miss Oga, I didn't want to ruin the glove, but to win, I have got to go for a full swing! And I do like how we briefly just cut away to, you know, one of the guys who is you know, visiting the driving range says to Oga, is like, oh, there's someone calling for you. He's like, yeah, I'm okay ignoring it. <laughs> no care for any of this stuff uh, but Chikara steps up and bashes the ball uh, and he doesn't quite reach uh, the mark that Haku has said he hits a 286 yards because he is still using a shitty club and it is still throwing him off even when he's using his full power behind it uh, so then Haku's like okay I, I guess I'll do my, my final shot but Chikara's like hey why don't you let me go first? Because obviously if I can't hit the ball 291 yards, that means I lose. So there's no point in you having to 
to do this. Uh, and but he, so he gathers himself. He briefly like mentally apologizes to Haku because like I've cast off my chains. I wouldn't do this while playing around because it'd mess with my drive. But by repeatedly swinging as hard as you can, you can temporarily increase your body's range of motion and your distance. It's a double-edged sword, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. And he's brimming with power. He swings back, and he blasts the ball. Uh, he knocks it so hard that it bends the, the fence and the net in the back of the range, and he gets to 298 yards. And they're like, holy shit! Uh, and he's like, look, I knew that I was actually taking a risk there. Because if I hadn't hit the ball dead center there, then because I put so much power into it, it would have actually veered off course and it wouldn't have gone that distance. But there's no way I could have beaten you otherwise. Even with my personal club, my best drive is 307 yards. Uh, and uh, he looks down at the glove uh, and it's got a big old hole in it now. Uh, and he does like a weird prayer with it. He's like, I hit a good shot, Miss Oka. All right, calm down. <laughs> he watches Haku. He's like, come on, beat that if you can. Uh, and Haku is clearly geared up now. He looks down at his club and he thinks, what would happen if I swung the club like that? Last time I focused on matching Oka's timing. But I think I've got it now. And this time I can swing with more power. More power! Chikara thinks to himself while he's watching Haku that, you know, there was a lot, there was this famous golfer who once said, you can get to 290 yards if you just work hard and you have intuitive understanding. But to hit beyond 300 yards, to get past the, the wall of 4.2 seconds, it requires something you were born with. I've gone beyond, but you won't. And he thinks of Voga, and you won't, and you won't. He thinks of the other people who work there. Most people are just never going to get past that point. Haku, I win. He also specifically, yeah, Oga, like, uh, I don't know why. That was very interesting to me that he was he like. Just, he just knows that she won't do it. It's like, you, you're not going to be able to do that. It's like, you don't have the physical talents to do it. That's. You know, not a knock against her skills. It's just you can't hit a ball 300 yards. That's yeah. all. But yeah, that was a very impressive moment, a big moment in this chapter. It felt like where he's like, Miss Oga can't do that. Yeah. She just can't. Uh, so everyone's, you know, quietly watching Haku as he gets set. And they're like, and the other two workers realize what might happen here. And they're like, hey, watch his swing here. And one of them says, like, yeah, I'll watch the lower half of his body. You watch his upper half. And we'll figure out how he got the ball to fly as far as he did. And so Haku is still figuring it out. He's like, what, what did Chikara do in order to hit the ball that hard? Was it his muscles, his size, his wrists, upper body, lower body? What did he do? And as he smashes the ball, someone says it's Torque. And I believe it's the short-haired guy Uh who was working there. It seems to match his hair in that one panel. And Haku twists and smashes the, the golf ball. Uh, and it flies through the air and Shikura immediately knows it's going to make it. And it 
pings off the top of the net that they have in place. The me- distance that is measured is 312 yards, which exceeds even Chikara's best drive with his own personal club. I was like, how how did you do that? How did you twist your body that much? Your upper and lower body were basically facing opposite directions. And they're like, that's it. That's like that you got all that torque out of your body. You've got that weird limberness that only comes naturally. A weapon even a pro could envy. And Haku is just kind of like, you know, staring off in the distance where he hit his shot. And he thinks, if it had just been me on my own, I never would have achieved this. I would have been fine just hitting the ball 240 yards. This is all because I wanted to compete and I didn't want to lose. And he thinks about what Oga told him, which was, you know, what you've been doing should make you feel bad. If you actually want to get better, challenge yourself. And he's like, I'm glad I'm glad I challenged myself. And Chikara is like, oh, yes, And he stomps towards him. And Haku's like, oh, my God, is he pissed? And Chikara grabs his hand in his own. Gives a big old grin. He's like, nice shot. You crushed me. And, uh, it's like, oh, thank you. And he's declared the winner. Fucking love Chikara. He's so nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. What a good dude. What a great fucking chapter. I mean, I know we're uh, biased towards sports manga. Like, it, it just connects with the primal part of our brain that goes like, yes, excellent. Uh, but the, the two-page spread of uh yasagi uh hitting that shot is really really cool like it's a great moment the art is used i love the way shading is used the way like the sound effect carries the ripple of his like thwack throughout it mm-hmm. it's such like a brilliant touch to carry the weight of that impact it's just so well done i love how it captures all of the characters reacting to it it has no text it just except for the guy at the end going it's gonna make it it's gonna make it and it's just so well done i still haven't really paid attention to the rankings i god i i'm gonna be so it's only chapter six oh that's right we haven't even gotten there holy shit this is chapter six of this series god this series is so good all right look you fuckers took nine balls dragon parade for me you fuckers took tenmaku cinema for me don't take green green greens as well all right i don't know who i have to plead to but please let this go on a little longer Oh, man. All right. Guess what's going to go on a little longer, Quinn? Oh, my God. I forget about this series. And then... New Sexist. <sighs> I always feel so exhausted when I click open this tab. <laughs> oh, my God. Chapter it's like, like I walk into the kitchen. You're like, fuck, why didn't I wash the dishes? Like I, <laughs> I click open this tab. I'm like, why the fuck is this here? Uh, the village abnormality. Uh, Nue is in contact with the same captain lady from before. They talk a lot about how danger is afoot. And, uh, but the big thing that she says is there is a protective barrier around the town uh, and it's in use, which means we're dealing with someone very high level. Uh, the boy and his group are inside the barrier, but I don't even know if they're alive. I'll do my best. 
uh, Niue says to her helper lady girl, uh, the worst case scenario is unfolding. Uh, and uh, yeah, anyway. So the ten Karasu person has formed a contract with Gakuro for some reason uh, and gives them a lowdown of what's going on, which is that like, hey, there's this barrier erected so that all the raiders that are here can't escape and they can't make off with the tool that you guys came here to reclaim. So immediately uh, Gakuro's sister is like, we should leave. Like these guys are very strong. They're above our level. And we have important information that we need to get to higher ranking agents outside of here. So let's go and tell them about it. And they're like, and so Gakuro pauses for a second because like everyone else is like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Let's we should we should go. And then a woman teleports amongst them as they're about to leave. And she's like, I'm going to take these two girls with me. And bamps away with Shiroha and Suo. They're gone. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, they're gone. Oh, no. The Karasu says, like, oh, it's someone from the raid faction, it looks like. They appear to be gathering women. (laughs) So Gakuro goes, let's go save them. And his sister's like, what the fuck are you going to do? (laughs) You can't save anyone. You're weak. And she reiterates all this stuff. I was like, look, this is if we want to save them, we should rush out of here. And get to some agents who can actually handle all this stuff, basically. Uh, and uh, so Gakuro is thinking this over, and she's thinking to herself, like, I know that he's trying to come up with a, with a reason to stick around and try and save them. I'm going to give him three seconds, and if he wastes any more time beyond that, or if he makes a stupid suggestion, I'm just going to beat the fuck out of him and drag him out of here. Fair enough. Uh, but then Krasu goes like, I will lend you my power, and taps Gakura on the sh- on the cheek and says, now you'll be able to locate your friend's current location using my abilities. Uh, and he gets a satellite view of the entire town, and it zooms in on where they are. And it's like, oh, they're locating the biggest house in the village with a bunch of other girls and women. And there's the girl who took them. She's busy with something. What's going on? And the creepy guy we saw in the previous chapter goes, hmm? and stares right at Gakuro through the satellite image thing. Uh, And then Gakuro says, Hey, could they be using some kind of jutsu to break the barrier that would require women? And Karasu goes, "Mm, Oh! Why didn't you know about this? Why didn't you think about this? I guess it's because she's stupid. I think that's it. She's stupid. That's that's her character. She's like a stupid kid. character and do sex exorcist, Nick? I don't think what? they have those. No. What? This is a series for only intelligent. This is a series of Mayuris, Nick. Every character is a mad genius <laughs> constantly outdoing each other. Gakuro um, reiterates what we just saw because, you know, the, Shitatsu didn't hear it, see all that stuff. So he just reiterates what he did see. So then he's, but then he establishes like, if they're using women to perform a jutsu to break the barrier, that's not that's a bad thing. Our our priority is preventing the jutsu because it would bring the the, the barrier down. So she does like, mm, yeah, I guess that's that's right. Uh, and Gakura is like, I need her to go with me because I can't handle this on my own. So he gives her a speech. I guess. I guess 
He's like, oh, look, I've got satellite. I, I can see things in isometric vision now, which means that I can go on stealth missions. I have Hotline Miami vision now, so I can see everything. No one can hide around corners from me. So uh, he's he's like, that's what I can do right now. And Shitatsu kicks him in the knee. He's like, fuck you. Fine, let's do it. They're going to escape the moment the barrier is deactivated. Then we should go and get a look at them. Okay. Uh, and so they head off. Uh, the creepy guy from before calls over the girl who captured Shiroha and Suo, who, by the way, did nothing to stop that. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, he starts calling her by a bunch of different names, and she's like, "No, my name's Kodama. My name's Kodama. Whatever." So it's a great gag. Like, it, it's it's yeah. like really solid. We don't even know who these other people are that he's calling her. They're just other names, anyway. So. Uh, also, she says, you eat a lot. Okay. Uh, and so Suo and Shiroha are just sitting down. I don't know why a house. this bothers me so much. All right, finish the chapter first. Just sitting on their asses, doing nothing. Because uh, the guy, the creepy guy came in before is like, you guys just sit right there. There's no escaping. And Suo says, yep, we can't win or escape against him. Let's wait for Yajima to head back and rendezvous with those who can help us. And then they hear someone and say, louder than a fucking sonic boom, Master Yai and Exorcist boy and girl are heading this way. I need everybody to hear this. Okay. So, um, both Shiroha and Suo are like, wait a minute, a boy and girl Exorcist are heading this way. Oh, no. They're going to run into a level three and they're going to die unless we find a way to escape. I guess we better get off our asses and do something. And it's like played as a joke. I'm so tired of this series. <laughs> I don't know why it bothers me so much that it's just so unceremonious that fucking Shiroha and uh Suo just get like kidnapped just like boom someone grab them and they're like in a room and they're not doing anything like they're essentially like soldiers and superheroes and there's presumably a room full of like scared women so like at worst like at, like the laziest level as an author you could have them be like comforting somebody yeah be like oh least. it'll be okay like something but instead they're just sitting there just being like, hmm, I guess we can't escape and shouldn't try it until they're like, oh, uh, uh, fucking Gakuro is going to show up. All right, we better escape before he runs into a level three. And it's just so pathetic. Like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how to phrase this. So I'm going to say something that's maybe cruel. But this is like, it's got like very strong incel vibes. <laughs> throughout this manga at this point that it just the way it handles women just feels gross in so many ways i I don't know how to properly phrase it but like i'm just very disappointed that this happened and this is also the result of these characters being kidnapped like nothing interesting no dramatic you know like stakes or anything like that just they're gonna sit there we would have bad things to say about this, even if there had been a thing leading up to this moment that uh, justified uh, Shiroha and Suo's inaction in some way. Like if it says like, oh, when they went through that cave before, 
they they were drained of all their spirit energy or something so they don't have anything to fight back even then it'd be like this is a contrivance in order to have these two be the damsels in distress and have them not do anything while Gakuro has to save them it even with that and there has been no explanation for that there is no reason they shouldn't try to escape or fight back immediately. I, I'm fine with the idea because they're trying to build up scale here. So we've seen a level one, we've seen level twos, but we've never seen them have to fight a level three. And even like a couple level twos is supposed to be kind of difficult for them. So a level three, which is what's supposed to be like the combination of like 10 level twos or 100. I can't remember the exact metric. The idea that this thing is that incrementally powerful is like, okay, fine. Like, go ahead. They're, they're afraid to... It's just done with so little tension. Like the the way these characters feel like they don't even care about the world. They're like, yeah, that guy's yeah. too strong, so we shouldn't even bother trying That's to say nothing. Like, have them like have this guy come in and have him say his little line, like there's no escaping. And like before that happened, they both looked like they were going to, but like the mere sight of this this level three and how powerful they are is enough to make them second guess themselves or something. Yeah. Just build. make him seem scary. <laughs> have like his the the evil aura he gives off make them knock them on their asses yeah. or something. And instead, there's like, yeah, okay, I guess we'll wait here. It's yeah, it's just a very annoying. Uh, I like Yuri Gray's suggestion. Their top should still be untied, so that's why they can't <laughs> yeah. do anything. They're like, ah, I can't. I no, gotta, no. I gotta cover my boobs, or else <laughs> I I'm only surrounded by women, but I have to protect them. I can't. No, I'm so helpless. If only there was a man here to tie these for me. Bad. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Uh, let's talk about two on ice, Nick. Chapter fifteen, vocation. Uh, with a creepy movie poster looking image of uh, of Takun. Uh, so we start off with uh, Kisara and Hayuma uh, practicing pairs move. They're trying to do the death spiral and Hayuma can't like handle it by himself So at this point. So uh, Natsui, Natsuya is like supporting him, preventing him from collapsing under the weight of just holding up Kisara with one arm while she spins in a circle. Uh, then we get a little bit of, uh, of like, like, Oh wait, there's, there's, there's Sora like uh, over there. Take, check it out. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a scale model of him. Check it out. And Kisara's like, oh, yeah, They're like, I thought you were like friends as kids. And she's like, it's Trump. I mean, he's more an enemy now. She almost says out loud that he traumatized her. It's like, geez, girl. Yeah, this 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 uh kind of focus in on this guy. Uh Tora and Uni are there to hang out and observe the practice and he turns to Uni and is like, Would you buy a standee of me? Uh I think I'm okay. <laughs> Just cold <laughs> shoots him down. Uh we get some conversation between the guys after the practice as they're kind of as they're getting cleaned up uh, and they're discussing like Sora is like, yeah, I guess that, you know, he's our enemy now too. Uh Natsuya says like Sora has known you uh, rather Tor Tora says Sora has known Yuni since she was in first grade. So he's jealous. Oh, that's that's what Natsuya says about about uh, Tora. Anyway, uh, Hayama says like, hey, you're Tori, you're leaner than Natsuya is. Are death spirals hard for you to do? And we get 
an amazing bit of insight on the <laughs> physical reaction your body has when you perform a death spiral, which is like, yeah, they were hard at first. It actually hurt me lower in my hips and back more than it hurt my arms from supporting the weight. Honestly, doesn't it make you just really want to let one rip i wish this series had done this from the beginning if you had, if you had caught me on with farts from the very beginning this series could have had a real future and i love the reaction because hayuma is, is like whoa he, he doesn't do that he's just like it's not just me <laughs> i also feel like ripping a massive fart when i do it <laughs> um but all, again, he's reminded of like the contradicting body types you have to do in order to do pair skating and acrobatic skating moves. Uh, so they're like, uh, and Torres says to Natsu, he's like, don't you ever like feel like laying down a big stinker when you do it? He's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Everybody knows death spirals make you fun. <laughs> Line of the year so far. <laughs> We cut over to where to where Sora is, and he is practicing with a female skater as they do a more complex version of a death spiral. Uh, he just effortlessly is twirling her in a circle, and the coaches they're speaking in English and is like, "Oh my god, yeah, that's perfect. You can do pair moves, and you can do the quad axle. Are you a monster?" Uh, and Sora just like kind of nonchalantly says. In Japan, they apparently call me a gift from God. <laughs> like bringing up a casual conversation. Um, and uh, so it turns out he's just been skating with like someone else's partner. And there's a very awkward moment where like they go, the pair is reunited. And she's like, I think he might be better than Ethan. It's like creepy tones. Right it, well, it's, it's very interesting because he's like, oh, thanks for letting me use your partner. And they're like, goodbye. And it's great because she's like, he was better than my partner, and the guy isn't saying something, but it, his expression is him kind of being like, nah, that was than me. clearly you're a better uh, skater than I am. Yeah. Uh, we established that Ms. Tokoro, who is uh, Sora's coach, doesn't know that he's been preparing to do Paris skating because he learned from Kisara's example that she fucking hates that shit. So he didn't let her know what he was going to do. Uh, and uh, nobody knows about, about all this anyway. Because like, hey, you know, managers and trainers and cameras aren't allowed inside the practice venue. So nobody knows that I'm here doing this. I just told her I was doing independent training in Canada. That's it. Uh, and he says that he is very shortly going to head back to Japan. And we cut ahead to like... A week later, after he has made his return, Kisara and Hayuma are trying to practice together, and Hayuma's struggling to lift her up. He can't get her in the right position for it because it's a complicated lift. Uh, so he ends up kind of dropping her down the practice mat that they're on. And they establish that they've made progress with the lifts, but this is like just at a level of a level of doing it where they can't even do it on the practice mats when they've been doing stuff on the ice outside of this. Um Kisara asks, like, hey, are you kind of, like, scared of holding me up? Maybe you should do some bench presses to, like, gain confidence in what you can lift. But Hayuma is like, I know I got to train more, but what will happen if I can't do the triple axle because I bulked up? And he's like, clearly, this is, like, really heavily weighing on him. There's darkness in the thought bubbles uh, as he's thinking this stuff. But they break for practice uh, and... And they're like, oh, we should be able to use the the actual rink soon. But someone's in there ahead of us, so let's just wait outside. Uh, and 
then uh, as they're waiting uh, through the doors comes Sora and we get ominous narration building up his arrival vocation in Christianity through divine grace to be called upon by God. So fucking extra, my guy. Chill out. So Sora shows up being the sexiest man in the world uh, in a skin tight shirt. Uh, and he's like, oh, is that you, Ki? Kisara is shocked by his sudden arrival here. And Hayuma is shocked for a different reason. Uh, but Sora looks between and is like, oh, okay, if you're practicing here, are the Kirishimas looking after you and stuff? He's just like, kind of like strikes up casual conversation. And uh, Hayuma's like, he's talking a lot, just kind of like carrying the entire conversation just on himself because, you know, Kisara is in shock. And, oh, is that boy your partner? And she says, it's none of your business. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're not all that friendly since the last time I saw you. Didn't you used to like me more? And Hayuma is just looking at him and staring at his musculature openly and darts past Kisara as she tries to bite back at him. And he just thinks, how is he doing that with that physique? And so he's like, excuse me, how are you landing quad axles? You're so muscly. <laughs> so that's the chapter of Two on Ice. Quite like this one. <laughs> what a wild ride it was. Though. I, I like how obnoxiously pretentious this guy is and fool himself. But I think the thing I really like is that the end of the chapter is like, oh, here's this big rival who like, it's not even remotely subtle, was like shitty to Kasara and has taken mm -hmm. a lot of pleasure in just doing it. And it's kind of starting to do it again. Like he's, he's being a little arrogant. But our hero is not like, let me step aside and protect my partner. He's like, holy shit, your physique's so cool. How are you accomplishing this? Like, I, I imagine we are going to get him stepping in to be like, hey, don't treat my partner that way and stuff like that. But I do like that, like, his first reaction to seeing this guy is just like, wait a minute. I don't understand it. How are you accomplishing these things? There's a lot of nice touches in the artwork in this, in this chapter. Um, right before he realizes that this is Sora, he identifies him by like his his beauty marks on his face, uh -huh. um, and there you get a flash of that. So, and there's of course you know you can see where his gaze is falling at different points. It's really interesting to see Hayuma not even taking in this conversation at all, this tense moment between his friend and their rival, <laughs> and just like oh your muscles. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I liked it a lot. Uh, let's uh, talk about Elusive Samurai, Nick. Let's do that. It's the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 140, full-fledged, 1338. Uh, Kojiro uh, is spinning through the air towards Nagao, who tries to attack him, and he Kojiro uses his second sword to deflect himself and bounce himself up in the air and get more spin, and he's just like yeah i i use this sword black iron willow one-handed specifically so i can use two blades and also increase the speed of my uchi katana for defense i fought many adults but i have no interest in fame or territory i only want to be the greatest warrior under the sun and he chops through nagao's sword and through his arm <laughs> devastating Yes. He doesn't fully sever the arm, though, it looks like. It just kind of spends blood spurting everywhere. 
No, it looks like it uh, went, It looks like it goes all the way through. Or if there's anything left, it's a very, very small tendon there at the bottom. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell because it does fall with him, but it also looks like it's separated. But his arm is all messed up, so who knows? It. it I think at this point, he gets he he gets like the arm victory. Like if somebody's like, eh, it didn't get all the way through, you'd be like, it's like ninety percent of the way through the arm. Like, I should get the prize if that was a prize or like the, the credit, yeah. you know? You'll never be able to give high fives with that arm again. Yeah. Because he's dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, for many reasons. <laughs> His uh, uh, status of mortality being one of them. Yeah. Um, so Uesugi is in shock of his like, he was my strongest warrior and. And Kojiro is like, yeah, his oversized arm was powerful, but it was actually really easy to counterattack because he had to make these big exaggerated arcs with it when he swung his sword. Uh, so you should. Eh, never mind. I'm a gig. I don't get any advice. And Uesugi is like, no, tell me, how do I improve my experiments? It's for my research. And Kojiro is like, I mean, for skilled warriors like him, sometimes tampering makes them worse. And Uesugi is like, yeah, fuck you. Kill that kid. <laughs> Um, and Kojiro just like really easily makes his way through all of the, you know, goons that, uh, Uesugi has surrounding him, all of his like less important experiments. And he's just like, no, you guys all suck and chops away at them while he's riding away on his horse. He reunites with Nita and uh, says like, okay, thanks for your help. I'm going to ride back to the Hojo. Nezu Kojiro wishes you success in war, proclaiming his name proudly. And it's nice. Um, he rushes off through through the crowd, and we get narration that's saying that Nezukodro was a warrior who would grow to become a superhuman figure in history. Uh, we cut over to where Tokiyuki is, and Ayako has a big old arrow sticking out of her cleaver. Uh, it penetrated like all the way through, and she's like, "Oh, she's going to be so mad." weird nope but okay uh and sanamune is like why is she worried about her weapon her lord lies dead because i just shot what wait what what is he doing he just sits up he's like oh he survived he's like yeah so apparently ayaka was paying attention when her wooden shield thing was getting penetrated by the arrows before and she stuck her massive thick metal club in the way instead and protected tokiyuki's life with it the tip of the arrow did reach his stomach but uh he didn't die as a result of that. And Sadamune realizes, oh, my neck is bleeding. He fired back at me when I charged towards him and fired. And he actually countered with me. And he gets this big manic grin on his face. Like, he dares trade arrows with me. Uh, and Tokyuki sits up and he says, like, yeah, sorry. I couldn't evade that arrow. I trusted my retainers so I could learn your secret technique. And, uh, hey, that all worked. And also, as a result of that, they were able to launch a big attack because Sadamunu got drawn into this position. And uh, Sheena goes charging into a whole bunch of people and, like, rake, does a really crazy whirling around where their necks move and slices through people with their leg while cracking his neck. Cool. Sure, yeah. Uh, and Sadamunu is like, all right, that's uh, this is bad. Yeah, um, we should begin retreating. Uh, Toki is targeting Akiye in this fight. I don't need to fight to the death. So he turns to ride away, 
Uh, and he thinks like that brat. He stole my secret technique without fleeing. He must think he needs in order to defeat Takauji-sama. He's independent now and has a determined look on his face. I can think of a certain sketchy god that must be smiling now. And then he comes across one of the peop- his men who's beaten up. And it's the guy who fought Ayako before. He's like, what, what happened to you? The dancing girl. <laughs> it's a funny little note. And we end the note on, hey, this is a big victory for the Hojo army again. As Tokyuki's forces defeated an enemy force all on their own, without protection, without aid from other units. Tokyuki proved he was a full-fledged leader. Hooray! Yeah, good stuff. Uh, gonna move us along though to Akane Banashi, uh, chapter or story ninety three. My words, because we are already at ten o'clock. Already ten o'clock. Akane has just been told by Chocho uh, that she's still not using half of her true ability. Uh, she's not tapping into her full potential, and she has an amazing reaction to this. This is. My favorite reaction image of the year so far. <laughs> just, right. just started, but yeah. That, you mean I could be twice as good as I am now? Oh, man. <laughs> Is that a new category we need to add? Best reaction? That's, no. Okay. <laughs> the Discord server has them all anyway. It's fine. <laughs> So, uh, Akane is just like, ah, I'll be twice as good as before. <laughs> goofball. So she's like, okay, how do I do that? What am I missing right now? And Chocho says, actually, it's the reverse. Right now, you've got too much. You've got deep roots, and ordinarily you need to take your time to figure this out. But there's no time until the debut event, so that leaves one option. We leave it up to chance. If you can capture the knack of it, you'll make stratospheric gains. If you fail, you might might lose touch for all the art you've built up. It's high risk, high return, a major gamble on low odds. If you'd rather go slow and steady, it's like, no, no, what should I do? It's like, it takes him up immediately. Um, And so Church is like, okay, I'm going to place one restriction on you. For the two months until the debut, you're not allowed to use Edo dialect. You mean like all the rough common phrases in Rakugo? You know, like so I says to him, like, yeah, don't use any of that. But she says, well, then I pay and I basically can't perform Rakugo. How would I perform Tanuki Dice? Like, that's essential to the performance. And Chocho says, what kind of question is that? You just do it, obviously. <laughs> you perform it without Edo dialect. And Akane is, has no idea what this means. So. Uh, is like, yeah, just learn how to do it. Relearn the whole performance just with your regular vocabulary, how you would normally talk. Uh, and Akane's, you know, weary, you know, leery about this. Like, what would I do? Like, th- that's like, I'm not performing master's art. And anyway, what would my words be in this kind of place? So like, hey, there's the scene where the Tanuki says, if I go back without repaying you, I'll never hear the end of it from the other Tanuki. So would it be more like this? OMG, if I leave now, I'm like, so screwed. <laughs> or would it be like this? Bruh, LMAO, I'm so getting canceled. <laughs> That's so weird. I do. I do. Uh, I love the idea of just cringe <laughs> replacement of all the dialogue. But this leads Akane into a sudden, like, crisis of, of you know, self, which is like, what are my words oh my god what what do i what what am i gonna do 
and she's like freaking out while she's just on her way home and just like reacting physically to the point people are like as they pass by her so she realizes that she's in trouble to help with this she reaches out to her friends and oh my god we get to actually like meet these people <laughs> yeah her two friends besides jumbo <laughs> we, we have seen them a little bit but it's so sparingly and like just for a moment so it's very cool to get like get to see them all interact uh and the four of them all go to a karaoke hall together together and uh they're like yeah we're gonna have a good time and it kind of says wait no no wait a minute this is what i wanted to do i need i need help i need help and and one of her friends is like yeah i get it i get it you want us to tell you if your rock ago sounds like you okay let's sing a song uh so she's just and the premise is just like her job hunt hasn't been going well so she just needs to get away from that shit and find an escape uh and so she's just constantly turning things back to like, let's hang out sing songs have fun instead of all this so it kind of agrees like okay fine i'll sing one song and they're like is she a good singer i've never heard her sing she's picked a song oh my god it's an oldies song from 1983 this, this hurts so much <laughs> they're like this ancient song and i'm like i'll admit was not alive when this song came out but it's close. It's too close for me to be comfortable with the be referred to as oldies. I understand the 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 passage of time happens, but this this one hurt. It's one of those things where it's like hearing that 1983 is 40 years ago. That doesn't affect me. Hearing that this song, which came out in 1983, is 40 years old, that makes me like. <laughs> it's like if he says like, "Oh, the third Ninja Turtles movie came out 30 years ago." I'm like ah. So uh, she establishes like, yeah, she's like heard this song at Rockago practice because she would hang out with her with Master Shigama at karaoke places. And sometimes he would sing all these songs. It's really cute. Uh, but they're like, OK, well, fine. Uh, I guess we'll actually focus on what she wants to do. But Yuka's telling her like, hey, come on, like line up a little. Oh, do you remember like how you would imitate the teachers in middle school? Try to just, you know, do that. And she's like, I was just doing impressions, though. And Jumbo says, like, well, what about that time that your dad showed up in fifth grade? The incident in the first chapter of the yeah. manga when she recounted what happened in class after he was making fun of her dad. Uh, and I do like how everyone except Jumbo first would as ah oh, the fake crying incident is like, don't call it that I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> but he says you did it back then you were using your normal words but you were performing them like Rakugo so isn't that what this guy means so then we cut away from that scene because there is more stuff that's going on here <laughs> Chocho has met up with Shigama and uh, he's he's they they're drinking together, uh, and Shigama says like Yeah, I hear you've been helping out my pupil, and Chocho says like Yeah, I just took an interest in her. Uh, and Shigama says I'm surprised you managed to talk Tyson into the debut event. Uh, and uh, Chocho says I thought the timing was right. We left things hanging ever since that day uh, when Isho expelled all the students, including Shinta. And he says, I wanted to get some closure on that, whether we repair the loose ends or let it be a clean break. Uh, and Shigama says, like, yes, yeah, some say it was a lack of skill. 
Others blame themselves for it. I've heard plenty of rumors. And Chocho says, but the real reason was something else, wasn't it? Like, for example, that thing that Shinoji was always after. The old master that you and Mastery Show both learned under. The previous Shigama left behind an unfinished story. Wasn't that known as Shigama's art? Oh, there's a master plan in the works, Quinn. There's the master plan of the Rakugo world. There's so much going on there, and it's it's great. Like this is a supremely cool chapter. Um, but there is so much going. Like I truly was ready for it to stop as soon as like Jumbo gave Akane some advice. Uh, once again, Jumbo coming in clutch to help Akane out with her Rakugo. Uh, uh, they're the OTP, even like in a completely a romantic way in my mind <laughs> like they, they there's there's like a, a a the red thread of fate between those two characters uh but then yeah at the end dropping like oh hold on akane banashi has lore to drop now as well we've Fuck got yeah. world building like all right i'm all for it good chapter uh excited to see uh how akane decides to approach this next one that's right but we're going to move on and finish up with One Piece, a chapter that's not going to make anybody cry, Quinn. What's yeah, it called? It's called, I'm sorry, Daddy. Ah! Uh, there's only two ways to take it. One way makes you cry. The other makes you horny, I guess. Uh, so I do want to note a uh, color page that we have where all the straw hats are celebrating the year of the dragon, including Yamato. Interesting. Almost if Yamato's kind of like, a straw hat or something like that. I like, mean, Mom- Momonosuke's in the picture too. Let's not forget. But he's the dragon. <laughs> he makes sense <laughs> that he's there. He's the dragon in the year of the dragon. Uh, I, also, uh, Frankie's hair is a dragon. <laughs> I just love that detail. <laughs> uh, so we opened this chapter. Uh, not We opened it in a flashback, but out of Kuma's flashback. It is now we yes. are on Egghead. As yes. uh, Bonnie has just finished watching Kuma's flashback, and Vegapunk's like, "Oh, have you seen everything?" And she's like, "Yes." And he's like, "Oh, then I have broken my promise to Kuma." And Bonnie turns back into her twelve-year-old self, and she runs up and she hugs Vegapunk, uh, in that way that kids do, where they can't, you know, they're not all, not tall enough to get all the way up there. So she's kind of like hugging him around like the hips, and she's just like, "I'm sorry," and. Uh, Vegapunk gives her a gift. He says, it was a present for you for your 10th birthday that Kuma left with me. And it is a beautiful sapphire necklace shaped like the sun. It was supposed Mm. to be a good luck charm for you. And they kind of just reminisce a bit about like how crazy everything has gotten. Like who could have believed Mm. like it got here. And uh, Bonnie's like, wait, so Straw Hat is one of daddy's friends. It's like, yeah, yeah. He was a friend, uh, a son of one of his friends. It's very crazy that he's here. Also, a lot has happened while you were in that flashback, basically. The Straw Hats just saved my life. So I want to go back and kind of like catch you up on everything. But he apologizes. He's like, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. I was, I was nothing more than a hired scientist. And he's like, no, it, it wasn't your fault. It's all him and we're back in the present now mm-hmm. as saint jay garcia saturn has bonnie held up in the air he's in his big spider form 
and she uh, everyone is surrounded by marines uh sanji vega punk frankie and atlas are there none of them can move luffy is there but he's in his recovery period from gear five uh and uh, saturn just says jewelry bonnie the pirate your father kuma is dead uh and we see like the the thing luffy's like oh somebody give me food atlas is like i would love to but i can't move uh we get a report that Sentamaru has been captured and kizaru is overhearing all of this and he's thinking how Sentamaru and bonnie were both very precious people to him at one point in his life we get a quick jump away to how like other people are reacting news stories are starting to break out about the siege at egghead people are like oh i hope everything's okay uh i hope you know um this is this sounds like it's gonna be crazier than ohara but we will specifically go to the revolutionaries where dragon is talking to Ivankov, and dragon's like so if kuma has like regained some small semblance of himself where do you think he'll go iva and Ivankov's like if it were me, I would just charge Marajo without a second thought. But this is Kuma. I think he'll, and we cut away. Uh, we we are back to, to Bonnie being held. And she's like, you know what? If I'm going to die, then I'm taking you with me. And she activates her distorted future technique, a Nika-like future. And we see Saturn have like shock when she utters the word Nika. But when she punches Saturn, her oh. arm just bonks like kind of harmlessly off and she's like again why is this happening i'm getting weaker and uh saturn's just like "Mm, i see you're his daughter and you know that name but you don't know what it is and he he notes that she hasn't pieced together that luffy's gear five and nika have any connection and he looks over and he sees that luffy is eating a shit ton of food the implication to this beam because uh a bunch of marines are like oh we have to get him and then kizaru is now like resting against a rock that kizaru got the food it seems to be Mm -hmm. because he was laying on the ground before not a definite but that does seem to be the implication i don't it it would feel like (laughs) like hey actually panda man gave him the food I do love that St. J. Garcia Saturday of all people like, hey, who gave him food? <laughs> hey, hey, guys, <laughs> the food? What the fuck? Um, but Bonnie is really frustrated. She's like, I don't understand. I can't use my age changing powers on this guy. And Saturn says, I gave you that power, Bonnie. It was an experiment to see if an infant incapable of eating solid food could be given powers with an extract. It was successful, but the fruit itself was worthless. Its powers allow you to transform into any future. But the more you know of reality, the narrower your future possibilities become. And that is so fucking cold and evil. Holy shit. Uh... We can see that, like, Kuma is now flying in towards this island, basically like a fucking missile. But that conversation continues where he's like, you want to believe in Nika, don't you? She's like, yeah, Nika is real. My dad is a cyborg and he obeys your orders. But when I find Nika, he is going to save daddy. And he's like, and your current weakness is proof that you don't think that's possible. You are starting to realize he is not coming. There is no Nika and this is reality. Uh, And your father believed in the stupid legend of the Buccaneers as well. He said, I want to save people like Nika. 
And then years later, I performed a chemical experiment on your mother. And it was a failure. And those blue blemishes showed up. And although it didn't have the desired result, I was very fascinated to see that the same disease passed on to her child. And in that moment, Kuma crashed into the island. We continued the conversation. Bonnie is crying because she's like, wait, you did all of that? And Vegapunk's furious. He's like, this was an experiment? You let Kuma beg you to save his daughter, acting like you were doing him a favor the whole time. But you were actually the reason all of this happened. All of the misery in these two people's lives is because of you. And Saturn just says, put yourself in my shoes. Would you bother yourself with the feelings of insects? It is impossible. Uh, Kuma has landed on the island. A bunch of Marines are reacting. They're like, a pacifista, why is it here? Wait, no, it has the, the handprints. That's Kuma. The former warlord of the sea, Kuma, has shown up on the island, and the authority chip isn't working. Uh, this report is broadcast, so Saturn is aware of it now. He's like, what? Kuma is here? He couldn't possibly. Uh, but Bonnie is done at this point. She has learned yeah. too much pain. And this pushes her over the edge, and she just starts crying. She's like, I can't. I'm too afraid. I can't even speak. Hey, Daddy, I think my spirit is breaking down. And this is all said through a montage of Kuma charging through the island, Marines shooting him with bazookas and cannons just being blown up with all of these guns, uh, every shot being you know, just obliterated onto him. And Bonnie thinks... Maybe it'll be easier if I just die. I'm sorry, Daddy. <laughs> Saturn lifts her into the air again, makes the claim, shoot him through the head. Uh, as these two explosions go off, but he, he throws Bonnie to the ground. And she thinks, after all you did for me, I'm sorry, Daddy. And he comes down with his big spider-like claw. And Kuma swoops in scoops up bonnie and gets stabbed in the back instead as bonnie screams out daddy and then kuma turns around he grabs he grabs the spike out turns around and we don't see it yet we just see him reel back to punch <laughs> and saturn's face nick i was a little upset we didn't get the punch here i will be satisfied if the next chapter of One Piece is just Kuma two-page spread punching this guy for like six straight pages. <laughs> like, the, you know, the way that like part three of JoJo has that moment where Jotaro just goes nuts on a guy for like seven straight pages. I just want like two, like a two-page spread for like six straight pages of Kuma just rocking this motherfucker's world. <laughs> Jay Garcia Saturn is so fucking evil. Yeah. He's such an asshole. <laughs> He's so sadistic and monstrous. It just thinks of everyone as this like, oh, you know, I just, you know, did some experiments with them. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Everything everyone is an insect. Everyone is something to be experimented on. He holds no shame over it. It's appropriate for him because he's a spider guy. So. Yeah. 
there's so much. This is a really, really good chapter. Very emotional. Uh, I have no, uh, like, I, I know some people get upset that, like, women in One Piece tend to be very damselfied, especially when it's, like, in these positions. I'm okay with it for multiple reasons here. One, they've done a lot of work to build up this relationship. Two, she is a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> 12-year-old girl. Uh, and, She's... And three, the idea that her uh, reality has been breaking is like an actual element they've explored throughout this chapter of just like she wants to fight back. She can't because she is realizing it is not going to work and it is actively making her weaker as a result. Uh, This is just really, really good. I love this exploration of her powers. I love all the little details they they threw into this chapter. Saturn is such a fuck. All I want the next chapter to be is him getting punched. Uh, I'd be okay. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. Back in the Drum Island arc, uh, Luffy like stretches back to punch Wapple. Then we get all of Chapters uh, Chopper's flashback, and then as soon as he comes back, Luffy like actually finally punches oh, yeah, him. Yeah. I want uh, almost like if they were like we're gonna do a whole other flashback. I'd be like, I'm okay with it, because it is going to be so fucking satisfying when this motherfucker gets punched. Uh, yeah, this was a very emotionally trying chapter. Uh, I do like how they set up this this idea of how Bonnie's powers work, and it's a big indication of, like, why things started to go wrong for her mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of, you know, before, like, the the time skip uh, where like, you know, she was separated from her crew and she was just barely getting by and stuff uh, when she had been one of the supernovas before. I was like, well, yeah, when things go bad, she starts to realize things aren't easy. And so she starts to have less faith in her abilities. And so they suffer as a result, very directly because they're based on the mindset of a 12 year old, basically. Um, But that also indicates that, Hey, if things start to turn around, she's going to be a force to be reckoned with. If she starts to have faith, things can have there, there can be a bright future ahead uh so yeah uh i'm looking forward to seeing the turnabout this was a very good just like hey yeah jager Saren was that you know asshole in the flashback he is a he is a monster <laughs> in this chapter i'm gonna actually start things off by saying he's my mvp this wow. week what a dick <laughs> <laughs> um and uh for my favorite chapter, it's a hard one. There's yeah. so many really good chapters this week. Um, like almost everything was really good. I'm gonna go with Cipher Academy for my pick for favorite chapter this week. But there's almost nothing that you can go wrong with, uh, besides the obvious exceptions. <laughs> yeah, Eden Zero. Uh, well, I guess you and you said this was a pretty good chapter for that. Uh, I will. Oh, it but for me it's between one piece and green green greens uh that i think both had like really really good chapters that like completely caught me uh i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna give it to one piece one piece was so good oda has such a great way of creating tension like those moments where you're like actively reading something and it's like every panel is so impactful like i had to kind of like jump over it but like as Bonnie is like panicking and finding herself despair, we are watching her father just run through an armada to get to her. Like all the pain that he suffered, all of it. And you know it's happening. So when he comes in with the big moment, it's not like a big, like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You're like, thank God he got here in time, basically. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's really, really satisfying. So I, I got to give it to One Piece, which really just nailed it in this return chapter. Um, and I think I'm going to have to give it to Kuma as well then as a result. Uh, I just, I'm so happy that he gets to see his daughter. It's not really him. It's very unclear if there's any part of him that's still in there beside like a subconscious thing, but like, good. I hope he punches the fuck out of this guy (laughs) and sends him into fucking outer space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how long the, that goes before the other shoe drops. Yeah. Because uh, we know he has a death switch in him. The audience, by the way, picked Blue Box as their chapter of the week and Kuma as the character of the week. Yeah, Blue Box was also a great chapter. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. There was so much good stuff. I know that we made the that. Yeah, you brought up how I brought up Eden Zero before. Uh, and yes, I do think it's one of the best chapters it's had in a long time. But also, not even on my radar for this <laughs> chapter this week. There is so much good stuff that happened in this week of manga. That's going to do it, everyone, for Week of Manga Recap. We uh, record the show here on twitch.tv slash T Wednesdays, usually starting between 7.30 and 8 Eastern time. But you can join us on Discord, which will be linked wherever this is posted. And you can find out exactly when the stream is going live to check out our next episode with us. Our past episodes are on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com, on iTunes, on Spotify, and in video form on youtube.com slash weeklymagarecap. The video version has an opening sequence by Milo Jack Stillitz and Winsley Dale Cheddar, and occasional tile cards are done by Steve Mann, whose artwork you can check out wherever busty women are found in illustrated form across the World Wide Web if you just look for Steve Mann Art as the handle. Uh, we uh, also want to thank everyone who's, who uh, participated in all the voting for supplementary awards and stuff for the year end uh, that we did for 2023. We did a big podcast recapping all sorts of stuff last week uh, in the break in manga. Uh, and Ninjax3i deserves a huge amount of thanks for helping to organize all of that and keeping track of everyone's votes and all the nominees, nations for the different categories and stuff. And that's gonna do it. So next uh-huh. week we should uh, we should be set to talk about 100 girlfriends who really, 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 really love you. Uh, yeah, so. they really, 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 really do. Uh, mm. All right, that's it. Uh, New Year, same wet fart ending. Goodbye. <laughs>